Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club. This week, we are taking a long walk through the woods and praying that our batteries don't die as we tackle Stephen King's 1999 novel, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. I am your host, Jen to the Rage Adams, and I love hiking, so I cannot wait to set out on this trail. But unlike Trisha, I am not alone, thank goodness. I've got three other losers joining me today, so let's head out of Nashville and follow the trail north to the woods of Chicago. Who is that hanging in the clearing? Do you like to hike? And what was your first experience with the girl who loved Tom Gordon? Hey there, this is Michael Monroeville Mall is 801 south <laughs> miles southwest of the Appalachian <laughs> Trail in Maine. <laughs> Rothman. Uh, this is my first time uh, reading The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Um, I had always seen it on shelves ever since it actually hit the shelves. I remember actually being at like the B Dalton um, or the Walden books and just seeing it there. And then especially when the pop-up came out, um, you know, a few years later, um, this is right in my cue zone because I just, I love survival horror. I've, mm-hmm. one of the things I found out in the last year or so um, while really digging deep into horror now that we're doing it full time is that that is a subgenre that is probably my favorite. It's one at the top. So um, for some reason, I'd never realized that that's what this is, is just mm-hmm. a survivalist story. And I, I don't know. I just really love it. This was my first time going into it. Um, it was it, really excited to talk about it. Um, I loved hiking. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed hiking. I've been, I've hiked up and down the Grand Canyon. I've gone to many places. I've threw up on Half Dome. Um, <laughs> so my vomit from 20 from something years ago is probably somewhere in the soil up there. But after reading this book, um, I for sure as hell, I'm never going to forget bug spray. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely changes my mind on that one, but, uh, yeah, excited to talk about this. Yeah. And you said that you have the, you got the pop-up book, right? I did. did yeah. Is that what you read? Can you read no. the pop-up book? No, 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 no. That would be hilarious if I did the book. We just did the book. Yeah, we, all did, all... we all read the 300 page book and you read the pop-up. For yeah. Like, it's like, well, like 10 minutes. Yeah. It's like, like wow. you get that quote? <laughs> it's like, wow, you guys are really getting into her head a lot. Like I, for me, it just seemed like Wait, she was going she from point A to point C. Underwear? What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! What t- would a pop up look like? Of that? It just oh sprays out at you when you open the page. Like, oh god! Ah. <laughs> like, you will so get wet if you open this book. Yeah. No, fortunately, that is not the case. It's very, uh, very PG, very kid friendly. Um, but it is really well done. I'll, I'll go into it a little bit, I guess. But um, is it the full text or, or not? It's not. No, 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 no. God, no, 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 no. No, it's like it's like piecemeal stuff. It's mostly like the the gist of each inning. Um, mm. so it's it's really just delightfully made and I, I i couldn't believe how like hands-on it is too i mean mm. you can like pull the tabs there's like little wheels that you spin i mean it's a pop-up book so it makes sense yeah. but yeah cause a wheel cause a wheel oh that's true yeah. and so is tom gordon um so yes <laughs> also true yeah the wheeler <laughs> his nickname yeah well yeah. There's someone else watching us from the woods, and we just heard his voice. Um, who else is joining us from Chicago in hey, the wilderness? It's, uh, 
It's uh, Justin Sugar Tit Gerber. <laughs> <laughs> Thrilled nice. to be back. Uh, this is my first book episode, I think, since The Langoliers. Yeah. Oh, that wow. Would have been, is that 2019? It's 2019. 20, yeah. Mid 2019. So it's been almost two and a half years. I'm happy to come back for a book that I, I've always enjoyed. This is my second or third time reading it, actually. It's, I think it's my second or third time reading it because it is such a breezy read. You know, I mean, there's obviously some heavy themes within, but considering the other books that King was putting out around this time, not only just with quality, but with length, 300 pages seems like it'd be, <laughs> you could read it in a day, you know? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, so I've always enjoyed this book, and I'm happy to come back to talk a little, little King, a little, and a little baseball, which I also love very much. So there you go. Do you also enjoy hiking? I, you know, I loved, especially over the last year when there was literally nothing to do in the world. I would go on these really, really long walks, and I did love doing that. Um, obviously, you know, I, iPods and iPhones have replaced the Walkman which we'll probably get into later on. <laughs> but I did love kind of just zoning out and going on long walks and feeling like I'm getting my exercise in for the day. Um, I did grow up as a kid in Florida and Arizona. So there was a lot of mountain climbing in Arizona when I was a kid. And I haven't done that in, in decades. And I, and I loved doing that. I'm sure I was in much better shape 30 years ago than I am today. <laughs> uh, but for Florida, you know, I don't really remember going on a lot of hikes in Florida. At that point, I was just doing a lot of, I think, biking like the movie rad you know like really really freestyle um ollies ollies are a thing right yeah uh no helmet you know no yeah. no bike helmet obviously but there's a lot of talk about you know bugs in this and, and getting bitten and i've got mm. some stories i'm sure i'll be able to tell with my living in in florida and whatnot Ooh, so, i can't yeah. wait i love it oh, i could feel it you know <laughs> bug juice that's <laughs> 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 just Put that out there yeah yeah i hate bugs um Ugh. and yeah i live around a lot more bugs now so that's been great mm-hmm. um but we've got one more loser to pick up and i'm actually very bad with geography so i'm not quite sure if this loser is north of us or east of us but let's go to new york and who is waiting for us in the jungle of new york this is dan the girl who loved dan caffrey that's oh. the only nickname i could think wow. of. wow not a lot of alliteration to be had, which is my mm. criteria for nicknames usually. Yeah, I don't know if I, I think I'm slightly, no, I don't know though, because Chicago is a lot colder than New York is. So I don't know if I'm north, I'm definitely east, but I don't know how far north I am. Um, yeah, I, so my experience with this book, I remember very distinctly, I was on spring break in Cocoa Beach, Florida at a condo with my grandparents. And this book had just come out. And this is coming off a bag of bones, which obviously is this mammoth, very, horror with a capital H kind of book. And I remember seeing this come out and being excited, like, oh, and the new Stephen King. And like you guys said, it felt kind of slight and almost disappointing, just not reading it, just looking at it. I was like, oh, what's mm-hmm. this shit? Like falling a little girl through the woods, give me some ghosts, you know? So <laughs> I um, I actually did not read it, even though it just came out. Then I bought American Psycho at the Walden Books instead and read that, which <laughs> did scratch my horror itch by the poolside yep. spring break Very when I was 14 or 15. I'm sure there was a lot of scratching going on. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember reading American Psycho. I think the movie had just come out around then. I remember reading the book and just 
I mean, I love, I still love that book, but just being like, this is too much, but, but I loved it. Mm. I'm just imagining um, you on the side of the pool, like, like clay and less than zero and your fucking shades <laughs> on, you got like a cigarette, you're like all greased up and you got American psycho on your, on your belly. Like, but it would, but it would be hilarious if like, if you take that image and then also put the, the pop-up book of girl who loved Tom Gordon and you're reading like <laughs> yeah, this deciding giant... between the two of them. <laughs> well, no, it's funny. So I saw that I, I unfortunately don't have the pop-up book. I should have bought it back when I could have, I saw it in like a books a million or something not long after that mm. and was like oh this actually looks cooler but i still didn't read actually read read the book until uh or probably around 2007 or 8 when my wife challenged me to read all the stephen king books that i hadn't read in a certain period of time and tom gordon was one of them and i loved it and i actually think i really would have loved it had i read it back then too i weirdly um i, I i'm not going to take jen's term but jen used a term for this book over text that i thought was so accurate like a, oh, um, yeah. yeah and and i feel like oh yeah as a kid i probably would have really loved this because i would have related to the the young person having an adventure in the woods and all that um as far mm-hmm. as hiking goes uh yeah i lived uh, growing up in florida i lived in front of a nature preserve uh called starkey park and there's a trail right behind my house so i would go through there a lot so pretty much every day to walk my dog and you would see you know armadillos and wild boars and alligators and all that it was a pretty laid out trail though so there wasn't ever any danger of getting lost in it it was a the three mile loops you would just do like a loop and see all this stuff um yeah, and we hiked a lot when we lived in Atlanta. I like hiking. I'm not like a big camping guy. I don't love mm. yeah, I don't, I don't like love like being in a tent sure. overnight yeah. or anything. That's how you I get like, murdered. Yeah, like I like the woods. I don't re- but I don't really love sleeping in the woods. I do like cabins. I would I'll totally go in the woods and stay yeah. in a nice yeah. cabin with internet. We can watch the movies at night and everything. But yeah, so I'd say I'm like a moderate hiking fan. Well, I, well, I, like, I do like being in the outdoors and seeing wildlife. When you, when you say cabin, do you mean like um, you know, like a Marriott suite cabin? You know, oh here you go. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah, right it's close to the hotel and uh you know, Gl- uh, glamping and pre- No, we went yeah, Susan and I went to uh um yeah, I hate that word. Uh Susan and I went to um it's uh talking about trump country helen georgia uh for her birthday Ooh. during the pandemic because it was secluded and it's a quaint little village like a german village although you walk through and you see a bunch of trump flags in the window and yeah. stuff she wanted um, to be closer but, to her people obviously yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah my wife had very different political ideologies well i see i see her red hat in the background it's right. like, yeah, a, it's like, like on, the, on the yeah. coat rack <laughs> but uh the, the but, girl who loved donald trump yeah. <laughs> yeah. but we stayed on the outskirts of helen in a pretty secluded cabin in the woods and that was really fun so it was in the woods in the woods it just had, it had wi-fi i want my wi-fi i want my running water i want my power what can i say that, uh, that's what i like yeah i'm a yeah. huge fan of you know r- running toilets you know? oh mm-hmm. yeah strong yeah. supporter of, yeah. of having those whenever i need it <laughs> yeah well, locking doors you know yeah Damn. locking doors that isn't just like a little um what do you call yeah. the like the uh, the hook and eye thing? It's like on screen doors. It's like not a lot you could right. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah. Or even yeah. like zippers on tents. Like what's that? Uh huh. It's like fabric, Lugs, scissors. You know. Yeah. I will say, you know, I when it comes to camping and cabins and whatnot, I actually don't mind like the the sleeping in the tents and whatnot. It's exactly what you said, Justin. It's it's the the lack of having a irrigation system that can yes. deal with with plumbing and stuff like that i because I, i've actually got a, like i mentioned the half dome thing and throwing up um i got a bad stomach flu when i was out west uh my, my parents used to just send me out to these places because they didn't want me hanging around this you know the house during the summer and say so like all right get the fuck out of here and so like they, they sent me this one like weird camp that was like a road rules type thing where you like get in a van and you just keep going from one state to another and like so we did the four corners one summer and i remember um getting sick then and then also the next year when i went back again because you're just out on the road you're eating random shit all the time Mm. and 
I will say like the biggest, I've, you know, there's definitely been some tense nightmarish situations in my life, but I have, I don't think I've ever had as much high anxiety as getting the stomach flu when there is just absolutely nowhere to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like mm. it, it just, was, it was, it was terror, like absolute mm. terror fuel. Um, and I imagine we'll be talking about that because of a certain section in this book. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah. It is Ugh. apt. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the first time that I read this book, but I think it was probably, I know I didn't read it when it came out because like, kind of like you were saying, Dan, like I just wasn't really drawn to it. You know, it didn't seem yeah. like it seemed like kind of woodsy. It's the kind of book now that I would be really drawn to. And it is, it's very much my jam, you know? Um, but it just, I think I was just really wanting like that horror itch to be scratched. Um, but then I I think this was my third time reading it and I love it. I think it's great. It's um it's really breezy. I think it's really uplifting. Um we're mm. going to talk about, I've got a lot of thoughts about the themes and kind of where it fits in King's canon, but I also love the woods. Hiking is one of my favorite things to do. I do not like to sleep in the woods because again, like I said that's how you get murdered. Um but I love like we live close to Gatlinburg, which is in the Smoky Mountains and they have the best hiking there. We're actually mm. going the weekend before Christmas, so I'm super Ooh, nice. excited. Nice and chilly. I know. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that we can um get get some good hiking in although kids are coming too so you know you can't do the really good hikes there don't but, let them um, go use the bathroom by themselves whatever i know do. i don't like i don't want them going on a trail ever after reading this um and i also have some thoughts about kids because i you know my daughter is nine years old now so um but yeah we are going to be staying in a what they call a chalet in chalet village ah. which is nice and it's got a hot tub and it's got like tvs and a pool table i think so I'm very excited. And then we're going to go hiking and get, you know, eaten by bugs and stuff. But I remember mm. I was doing one the first time I did a solo hike in Gatlinburg, it was this big loop. So it's not like you go to a destination on the trail and then you come back. Um, and it went on a lot further than I thought. And I was on the trail the whole time. Um, but I just kept thinking, when is this going to end? And it started to get like a lot rougher. Like it wasn't a part of the trail that people go on very often. And I was walking through this like village of vacation homes that they had some kind of land dispute. So they were all abandoned and like the, it was so creepy because the mm. windows were all broken and I was listening to needful things as I was walking through it. And it was very <laughs> creepy. <laughs> so uh, Leland Gaunt pokes his head in his own. Yeah. Having a good time out um, here. Now I know. Open. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I survived. Um, I see you need a window. I can trade. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Would you like to get back to the path soon? Uh, um, say hello yeah, to my gnome. <laughs> he's waiting for someone to mention the goblin. Uh, the yeah, the goblin yeah, he's he's <laughs> fresh off the set of Beetlejuice. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. All right. Well, so we've got the gang all here. So let us embark down the trail and let's read the synopsis first. And so I've got on a six mile hike on the main New Hampshire branch of the Appalachian Trail, nine year old Trisha McFarlane quickly tires of the constant bickering between her older brother Pete and her recently divorced mother. But when she wanders off by herself and then tries to catch up by attempting a shortcut, she becomes lost in a wilderness maze full of per peril and terror. Blech. As night falls, Trisha has only her ingenuity as a defense against the elements and only her courage and faith to withstand her mounting fears. For solace, she tunes her Walkman to broadcasts of Boston Red Sox baseball games and follows the gritty performances of her hero, relief pitcher Tom Gordon. And when her radio's reception begins to fade, Trisha imagines that Tom Gordon is with her, protecting her from an all-too-real enemy who has left a trail of slaughtered animals and mangled trees in the dense, dark woods." 
That's a pretty good synopsis. Very good of it. synopsis. Sells me. Yeah. 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 I that's- know. Yeah. I like the the just like throwing in at the last minute. Oh yeah, it rips the hair off, the heads off deers. Yeah, we've got the same. I think right, Mike, the same copy. Yeah, so I got this yeah. actually on a, tr- a hike. Um, oh really? I went to, yeah, my first trip uh, post quarantine. I guess you can't say post pandemic because everyone loses their mind. But um, <laughs> they, I got it during a hike in Durango, and there just happened to be this really cute bookstore that was next to the the river. I, can't, I think it was the Antoine River River or something. But I, I posted photos actually on our socials. And I guess in hindsight, it makes total sense that I've picked up this little book there. Like it makes, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I figured because I have the first edition, I didn't want to mark it up. So I mm-hmm. use this as like my markup. I always get the paperback ones. But um, yeah, I thought that's kind of, in hindsight, that's, that's kind of cool. I got it when I was actually walking around. Um, fortunately, I didn't get lost. So, you know. Yeah. So, I have yeah. the most recent edition, which has uh, Trisha on the cover with her, I think she's got a backwards hat on. Mm-hmm. That's the most recent one. She's kind of looking off into the distance. I, I actually like it. I remember mm-hmm. how misleading this new run of covers has been when it comes to the roadwork cover. Makes it look like <laughs> some like action movie, like falling down, yeah. like makes it, it look mm-hmm. good, like a standoff in town, and you're like, oh, this is not actually what happens at all. It's a clever. Marketing it's not as misleading there. as the roadwork yeah. one. What would, yeah, what would be an appropriate cover for roadwork? Then just like uh, an office room or something like that. Just some guy at home. Somebody yelling at himself. It'd be Barton Dawes just sitting in his fucking easy chair. Truck. With yeah, a bottle of champagne yeah. popping it open. That's what that would be the that's that's the only thing I remember is the the gross yeah. uh, champagne pop from that that yeah. novel. Yeah. Awful. And just being annoyed in general, you know. Yeah, he saw guy fucking I, that book just I my my loathing of that book just grows as the podcast oh. goes on. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Get ready, Caffrey, for New Lines adaptation produced by Andy Andy Muschietti, if that still comes to fruition. I don't oh, think God. it ever will, but yeah, I just I keep laughing yeah. at the idea of that. Like in an age where IP is king and you have to like have yeah. you know the most like ambitious story or craziest stories and hooks and stuff, road work. Yeah, <laughs> like, I feel like too outside of this podcast. People speak of it pretty fondly, but no one can ever say why they like it. I think they just, I think they remember the cool looking original cover with Barton and the gun and they think mm. that's what the book is, but it's actually not really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, just, I mean, that is like far and away my least favorite King book. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's really the only one I would have a hard time revisiting again. I think all the other ones I'm, I'm down to read. Um, I know yeah, we're not I here to talk f- about road work today, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think <laughs> yeah. three of those four Bachman books from that era are actually pretty awful. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. That rage and running man. Anyway, we are, yeah. I guess we are, like you said, we are here to talk about this. <laughs> That's true. We're talking about this. The, the girl of love Barton Dawes. Dawes. Uh, right. oh, yeah. Hitchhiker. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Uh. (laughs) Well, and so let's talk about uh, the girl who loved Tom Gordon. And to do that, I think we need to take the trail to the Dairy Public Library. My Cameron, if you see... Excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? 
you do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. So the girl who loved Tom Gordon is the 41st book published by Stephen King. Mm. It was his 35th novel and the 29th under his own name. And I know like I've read them all. Like I know how many books he wrote, but just like reading that back to back, it's like, geez, that's a lot of it's a lot. books, you know? Yeah. He's probably 40 cents then. I know. Yeah. What was this <laughs> like 22 years ago? I think yeah. if yeah. my math is correct. Um, and it was released on by Scribner on April 6th, 1999. Spring break. And- <laughs> <laughs> the side of the coming back. That was Oof. my senior year spring break, and I, I was not reading it on the beach of Panama City. Um, but And then a pop-up was released in 2004, and Mike, we talked about that one a little bit more. Is there anything yeah. else you want to say about the pop-up? I mean, I think it's worth getting, and, and I was actually surprised because I, I looked on eBay, and I've been breaking the rules. You know, I, I've stressed multiple times in this podcast that when I like to get my first editions or I'm looking for hard covers and old ones, I like to go to the actual store. Look, I was pressed for time and all the bookstores around Chicago have just been like cleaned out. I don't know if it's just uh, the pandemic, but like I couldn't find it. And then Justin, you were trying to order it too. Well, right? here's the thing. They, it's actually no longer for sale. Oh, uh, I was going to put um, it on my Christmas. And I was trying to support my local independent bookstore. So I went to their website and it said it was available. So I ordered it. And then two days later they said, actually, this book is no longer being published. So they did give me a full oh. refund, which I appreciate. They're like, we do have a first edition of Roadwork, if you would like that. <laughs> yeah. Signed that would by be a lot of money. That would, Stephen King. Right. And you could sell that shit for a lot oh, of money. Exactly. Those, those we'll actually give you money if you take it. Yeah. yeah. So at that please. point, I figured I didn't want to spend, you know, God knows how much on. I'm not sure how much you ended up spending, Mike, but I was like, hey, I'll just let Mike. Mike's getting it. He can talk about it. <laughs> it was 18 bucks on, e- on oh, eBay. Wow. I was surprised. Oh, wow. and, and the guy who wrapped it... Um, really nicely like it's like a pristine copy um although i will say this demon dog i'm watching right now was ahead of his eye on it and i was like i don't think so buddy like you're, <laughs> you're not gonna ri- you're not gonna rip through that you already ripped through Just my weekend but back off <laughs> yeah exactly it was like get the hell out of here um but it's worth picking up i mean especially if you're a king completist i feel i feel like it's mm. it's really nice like i i do now kind of wish in hindsight that I did just read that for this book episode, which would have been hilarious. Like, oh, where, where are you at now uh, with this? You know, do you get any of this? On page eight. <laughs> uh, but it does go in depth. Like it, it, one of the things that's really cool about the pop-up is that they have these little sleeves. Like I actually had to sit with it for a little bit because I was like, well, wait, does this peel back? Like, oh, wow, it does. And like, the, you know, you have to like actually like they have like almost like almost like little mini manila folders on each page and you kind of have to like pull them open and then you have little flip books that has like all the, the writings in it. And it does squeeze in a lot of King's prose, which I, you know, I imagine he had you rearranged for this pop-up and it's really, it's cute, but it's also like really creepy too. Like the, mm-hmm. um, the, the bear at the end is like really fucking eerie. Um, like look at this. You gotta go do like a reels on Instagram, Mike, and, and just yeah. go through it and post it. Yeah, I mean, because it's like, I mean, look at that fucking jaw. It's creepy as hell. It's awesome. It's awesome. I, yeah, you see it kind of maggots and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a, uh, I have a, dra- no joke, a Dracula pop-up book that we found <laughs> in a little library a while back, but like very faithful to Bram Stoker's original novel. So it has Quincy Morris in it. It just makes Dracula like this old parasite rather than some romantic Lothario. And mm-hmm. I, I read it this Halloween and it's crazy. Like I open it. And like a whole castle rises out of the book. And That's it's so same, cool. And same thing. And like that bear, there's something like that with a wolf. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have to read it delicately because I'm worried it might um, 
get ruined, but I'm pretty amazed by the pop-up skill. And the same thing, they have these little pockets you unfold that actually contains like pretty big stretches of the actual prose itself. If so. I thought it was released like a year after the original Bram Stoker's Dracula came out. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like it's like really like oh, before copyright existed. It's just uh, like, here's a book. Because <laughs> yeah. that was the technology. That was like a <laughs> version. <laughs> do anything else. I they, yeah, I bet they had pop-up books back in the 1800s, right? It's got to be yeah. an old form. I used to have Return yeah. of the Jedi pop-up book in the 80s. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I could pull... Pull a little thing and then net would come down and get Chewbacca. Up. Was I think I had that too, Dan. Yeah, yeah it's pretty popular. I think. Yeah, I just love the idea of like uh, if if it was released right after Dracula. You know, you have like a you know an old man that's sitting there being like, "Well, the the war was tough," and talking about like civil war, and it's like, "Shut up, Gramps!" And it's just like pulls like the Dracula pop up book out. And it's you think like, that's bad? Look at this parasitic monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In detail, it's awesome. Um, you know, but. Uh, um. It's interesting to think about making a pop-up book for this, though. You know, I think that's not mm. like the first thing that would come to my mind, you know. But I guess this is like could be considered YA, you know, which he, yeah. the yeah. other one. What's the other one? The Eyes of the Dragon, I think, is probably the mm -hmm. only other king I would really consider YA. Yeah. Other than maybe maybe The Long Walk, I think, and Stand By Me. Or the Bible, yeah, those so. could work. I, I feel like those could work as a pop-up. Maybe like throwing like Gerald's Game in there also. Um, you know, that could be a really <laughs> fun pop-up book. <laughs> Same uh, pop up over and over and over yeah. again with different like, like fold. Who's at the door now? And it's like, Jen, the, what, you know, the <laughs> why don't you say what you called Tom Gordon this book over text? Because I thought that this was so accurate. Because we're talking about Gerald's game right now. What, I, th yeah. I thought this was such a good observation. What was yeah. it? I called it Gerald's Game Junior. Yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing that, I mean, obviously there are two characters. Trish is not stuck in the same place, but she is isolated for the majority. Mm -hmm. But what the the strongest connection I really thought was like, there's the tough Tootsie and there's Pepsi that she's hearing in her head, which is like um, the two characters that uh, mm -hmm. Jesse hears in her head. I keep getting Jesse and Gerald mixed up. Um and but I think there's a lot of like this is a very empowering book. I think it's very like female empowerment. But this one, I don't think it necessarily would have like I think this could work just as easily with a boy. But I love that it's a girl. Um, and I think this is it's got a lot um, in common with like I kind of think of it might be as like a stealth eclipse novel. You know, yeah, that's what you had said. I like that. Mm. take. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, which I mean, and I don't know if the Eclipse thing is just something that I'm creating, but I will stand by it. So the Eclipse novels for me, I think, are Jesse's game. Gerald's uh -oh. game. <laughs> you know, maybe it should be Jesse's game. Jesse's okay? game. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like the, uh, the Twilight books when they've got like the Edward versions of the books. Yeah. This is the same oh, thing. yeah. You, know, you got the Jesse version of Gerald's game. It's a short story, but you know, still. That's right. Yeah. And it's basically the same. But um, yeah, I like Gerald's game, Dolores Claiborne, Rose Matter, Insomnia. And then, yeah, I think that's that stretch of writing. But it also falls in an interesting place in, I think, King's writing because this is, I feel like it's kind of a transition period for him where he's really thinking a lot about spirituality. And he's starting to move, I think, away from a lot of the more classic horror writing and uh -huh. into the more like introspective um, kind of stuff. And I mean, I think there's elements of classic horror here. And I think there's always been elements of introspection throughout all yeah. of his work. But it see this seems to be kind of like a little bit of a turning point um, around this period, you know. And it's technically, well, I guess the Hearts, I guess Hearts in Atlantis is, which is a collection, is the last book before the big, you know, the big accident, right? Because mm. that, that he publishes, because this is, because yeah. th it's Dreamcatcher technically is the next novel from here. But the mm -hmm. next collection of books is going to be Hearts and Atlantis, which is why we're covering it in December. But 
this does feel like um yeah like almost like a foreshadowing of what's going to come in the next decade but mm-hmm. also sort of an end cap on an era yeah you know um yeah and some of the reviews that i found kind of mentioned that well i'm sorry that mike pilled for oh, me, go for um, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mentioned yeah. that um that i wanted to read a couple of them um, but some of the overall themes, and I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on this, um, we're talking about, is this scary? And I think they made a point to say, this is a very scary book. But when I think about this, I don't think of it as like The Shining or like Salem's Law, which I think, or Pet Cemetery, which I think are like the scary ones, you know? I think there's a lot of horrific elements and the overall concept itself is scary. But what do y'all think? Do you think of this as a scary book? I, I think it's scary in the context of when you look at other King books, this could happen to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I don't think we're going to be haunted by ghosts and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. You know, kids coming back from our children coming back from the dead and killing us. I don't think that's actually going to happen. That's scary in a different way. Mm-hmm. But this is scary in a realistic way. hundred percent. And I was, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like shaking my boots like I am when I read Pet Cemetery or Selms Lot, of course. But I, I think once she starts discovering the, severed deer heads and the dead fox and all that i guess once we get to the bear and before you know it's a bear and that's something following her in the woods i actually do think it's in pretty straightforward horror realm from there i mean i actually was i did find it pretty ominous to have this thing watching her all the time and i love that we don't clarify that's a bear till the end and you could argue well is it a bear the whole time right Mm -hmm. like there i mean you, you mentioned gerald's game and there's a lot of connection between how she sees the man-made of moonlight in this, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, how much of it is real? How much of it is in her head? Is the force that's watching her, is it actually the bear the whole time? Or is it this dread about her parents being divorced and her brother and all that? And so I really did appreciate how it mixed metaphorical horror with literal horror as it went along. Like, by the end of the book, I really was seeing it as a, as a horror novel. And he almost mm-hmm. does a meadow thing with kind of playing with the constant readers and listeners too um Mm -hmm. because you know he has a lot of red herrings that are set up throughout this whole novel Mm -hmm. and those red herrings would certainly take this into a different direction right you know like Mm -hmm. and i guess it kind of goes in what you were just saying kathy which is like is it or isn't it and we always talk about like you know the king implying usually means like that's actually what is real and what is actually happening like you know if i always talk about like the cujo thing with like um you know tad seeing the boogeyman in the closet Mm-hmm. Probably is the boogeyman in the closet because at that point in King's work, like most of the times when he's implying something, it tends to be true. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the case here. I think that's actually like, I think it's a little more mercurial. And um, I think it kind of ties into where King's mindset was at the time of his writing where, you know, ever since we talked about it back in, God, 2018, we talked about how that was sort of his like epic closing solo to like finishing out the horror run of his and since Mm -hmm. then his horror has permeated in different ways that are a little more real and a little more grounded and certainly what we'll be discussing in the 90s kingies but with this one it's almost like he gets sort of slightly meta about it like the fact that like we literally have a report about the serial killer or not the serial killer but the child molester that's out there and it's tied with somebody that's you know in the that we keep hearing who we keep thinking seeing stuff uh, in the pros about someone watching her like so mm-hmm. you know if you're a an astute scholar astute a, a scholar <laughs> of of, a, of king's works you're probably going to think oh that's some that's going to tie eventually and then it doesn't like he so king's playful in that way here and i kind of like that I, and, and, but, it, but then it also works because it really is in sync with what a nine-year-old mind would be like, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you, you would be going back and forth on these things. So I don't know. I think it's really smart and it's tight for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And there, I do want to talk about the sub audible because I think 
that for me feels kind of like an end cap into this exploration of faith and like what that means in a practical sense. Um, but a couple of reviews kind of pulled some of these themes out. Um, Publishers Weekly said, um, love of baseball suffuses the novel from the chapter headings, i.e. bottom of the ninth and Trish's reliance, though f- through fevered imagined conversations with him on real life Boston pitcher Tom Gordon and his grace under pressure. King renders the woods as an eerie wonderland, one harboring a something stalking Trisha, but also just perhaps God. He explicitly explores questions of faith here as he has before as in desperation, but without impeding the rush of the narrative. Despite its brevity, the novel ripples with ideas, striking images, pop culture allusions, and recurring themes, plus an unnecessary smattering of scatology. It's classic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they called that. Yep. Uh, I know. Also, they used scatology. the word smattering, which yeah. um, feels good, apt. Good rhetoric. Good rhetoric. Yeah. Splattering. Mm-hmm. Scattering scatology. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good. I know. Um, it's classic King, brutal, intensely suspenseful, and exhilar- exhilarating affirmation of the human spirit, which I think is what I love the most about it. Um, but I loved how he mentioned kind of the um, the series of like books that are examining God and what um, religion means. And I think this is before the accident, but it is after getting sober. And we talked a lot about this in Desperation and the Regulators. It's just like exploring what God is and what powerlessness um, in the face of a force like God could mean. And I think I feel like he is kind of getting to a peaceful place here with just describing the sub audible. I have a lot of thoughts about that later. I don't want to jump ahead to the hook, but I just thought it was interesting. Um, do y'all have any thoughts on that? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I'll oh, go for it. Jack, well, I was just going to say, I, I think I prefer, and yeah, I'll, I'll save specific stuff just because I know we'll go into the sub audible, but I do I prefer that version of King's spirituality as opposed to the stand where it's just like hardcore Christian. (laughs) I mean, not hardcore Christian, but I just think it makes it a little bit more universal. And I mean, you know, none of us know Stephen King, but it seems to be like when the dad describes his beliefs, I feel like that's King's belief. Like that seems like King's beliefs more. Because isn't his daughter like a universalist minister or something like that too? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so yeah, just that I I felt like this was just the right dash of or dose of that um, as opposed to, I I never like it when he gets too heavy handed with the, the spiritual stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, And another theme that I think kind of came out in some of the reviews I was reading was um, scary. It's kind of just in what you were talking about, scary, but not like a monster scary. It's like this is reality scary. And so I wanted to read um, from the New York Times, Christopher Lehman Hopped. I hope I said that right. Sorry. (laughs) I love these critics' names. Christopher Lehman Hopped. (laughs) Yeah, they're... (laughs) You can just hear the monocle. Um, (laughs) uh, Now, what you might expect King to do at this point is to summon up, at the very least, a homicidal pedophile on the loose or a rabid werewolf running amok to terrorize poor Trisha, who, while a gritty young thing and tall for her age, is even afraid of the dark. And then a little bit later, but surprisingly in this story, that seems almost to have written itself. King leaves his heavy breathing monsters mostly out of it and relies on the simple things about being lost in the deep woods that would upset most of us like insects, snakes, hunger, thirst, cliffs, swamps, thick foliage with thorns, disease, extreme weather, noises in the dark and our own overheated imaginations. Oh, and something that seems to be stalking Trisha, something very large, something that grunts, something capable of ripping the head off a deer from its body, something that we know Trisha is going to have to deal with directly before she gets out of the woods. And I have 
have one more thing I want to read from that, but I think it's interesting that all the reviews I read made a point to mention it is scary, this monster. There is a monster here, but also mentioning that it is, it's a situational, more survivalist horror, realistic yeah. thing, you know, which I think is a transition for him too, you know. It's like Hatchet, but without, you know, with a little more <laughs> Oh, the Gary Paulson Hatchet. I think he meant Hatchet, the Kane Hodder thing. Oh, no, 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 no. It's <laughs> like when, when people like, get their heads flushed minute. to walnut sizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, you know? mean like Hatchet in the River and all that, right? The Gary Paulson Yeah, stuff. exactly. Like, these are the stories that you read when you're like in, I don't know, when you read like The Giver and like all that stuff. And it's not like a fifth grade, ten, maybe? Between 10 and 12-ish, like yeah, I think. Yeah, I feel like that's my post-doctorate. Yeah. Your postdoctorate, yeah. It's like, oh, well, we, you know, we, we, went, we went from Dostoevsky to, uh, oh, Gary Paulson. James Joyce. Um. Oh, God. Uh, it's like, well, I know Ulysses was tough, but we got Hatchet uh, coming up next. <laughs> and here, The Giving Tree. Oh, which oh, I do I love. love the I love tree. The Giving Tree. I do love yeah. The Giving Tree. Yeah. I still get a little emotional at the end of that. Yeah. I, like, I, like I do it. have some thoughts on The Giving Tree. Is, does the end of The Giving Tree have Shel Silverstein like with that? Smile at the yes. end, or is he more stern? I can't remember which. If it's, no, I think oh, the picture. Uh, most of the time, he's got a big smile on his face. Yeah, he's, he was. Uh, I think he was a little bit into the psychedelics. I might be wrong yeah. about that. That's quite high off his ass. I'm yeah, he hung out with a lot of rock stars. I love. I Shel mean, Sosa a tree's too. talking in this. Yeah, movie. yeah. yeah. trees yeah. don't yeah. talk. He wanted to put on there a memoir, and I thought that was. Uh, that's when you knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, one more thing I wanted to read that is kind of along this line is from Entertainment Weekly um, by Rebecca Asher Walsh, another hyphenate. Rebecca um, Asher Walsh. Rebecca Asher Walsh, yes. Oh, the, yes. The, the, I apologize if Rebecca's listening. I'm sure you're delightful. <laughs> hey, look, if you use three names, you're going to get a little bit of a dinger. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, oh, the perils of being raised in a dysfunctional family. It's a bad, bad world out there. And having an out-to-lunch mother, which I think is slightly unfair, and Yikes. an absent father sure can make life more difficult difficult your only chance of survival rely on your inner resources and focus on your faith sounds like the latest from one of oprah winfrey's change your life segments right nope it's none other than stephen king whose new novel the girl who loved tom gordon find its fright factor not in the supernatural but in the demons within which i love that but i always like it's kind of a tell with who reviewers like are familiar with king's work you know I'm like well mm -hmm. actually like he does this more often yeah uh, yeah you know, um, but then surprisingly, the sticky religious questions, and there are a lot of them, don't detract much from the pleasure of this story. Unless you're looking for a read like The Shining, King's been inching towards a book like this for a long time. His novels have become increasingly focused on spirituality, 1996 Desperation and the same year's The Green Mile, and it's evident he has spent a great deal of time grappling with the subject. The girl who loved Tom Gordon isn't going to keep diehard horror fans up at night, but adventure addicts will find plenty of thrills. Oh, well, at least this person read Desperation, so they do have a decent. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, they're that's tough. Not... Deep dives. They're going for deep cuts. Here. I do. I that's do true. like the distinction between like horror hounds and adventure addicts. <laughs> like exactly. To, to, uh... <laughs> I, hey, I want to clarify really quick. I just looked up. Shel Silverstein apparently did not do drugs or drink alcohol. Oh, like, uh, okay. to the he thought it altered of, of Shel Silverstein. <laughs> he didn't want to. Uh, he yes. didn't want to alter his consciousness or his talent, but he did like to hang out with people who did those things so he could observe them. And write funny songs yeah. about. Oh, he was always stuff. the control in like the circle of people doing the LSD. <laughs> yeah. He was the control. Yeah, the electric nice. Kool Aid as it I, I like like driver. Just, I didn't want to get sued <laughs> for slander or anything. No, so that's that's a go. good that's a good yeah. point. That's a good like point. Like to apologize to the tree also. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we especially this was a giving tree and the okay. Silverstein estate. He's been through enough. Okay, that giving tree is a stump by the end. It's kind of an anomaly. A giving tree isn't like you know, or not an anomaly, but isn't it? It's not really that tragic. The tree's gonna be able to grow again, right? I mean, it's a stump, so it could just keep going again, right? I mean, 
Know. Yeah, I guess stay tuned for the Giving Tree Afterlife. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Brought to you by Jason Reitman. Um, Jason Reitman. That's his next project. You know, giving like, you your tree back, guys. It's like, it's like no, my dad. He's like my my dad's was great friends with Shel Silverstein's <laughs> daughter, and I, I've been putting it off for years. So I felt I had to answer the call and make a Giving Tree. And, and High hey. C is going to do a limited Giving Giving Tree, uh, you know, giveaway. Um, Put the sexiest like, man alive in it, and I'll, I'll watch it. Paul yeah. Rudd is the old man. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. I watch you Paul know. Rudd as the tree. You know. Are you, hey. are you telling me that you grew back? Um, but <laughs> can I sit here or not? Oh my um, god. But here's a here's an interesting thing I thought about in terms of the timeline for King. Mm. Does this book look different if it's written a year later after the the crash? Hmm. I don't I think, think it gets so. written at all. I mean, it would look yeah. it would look different in that it's a very coherent book, and because I, think, yeah. I mean, I, and I'm I'm a I'm somewhat of a dreamcatcher apologist. I enjoy mm. that novel quite a bit, but it's so chaotic, it's so all over the place. And you is, can tell yeah. it's him learning how to write again, and so I feel mm-hmm. like if this was after the crash, you'd be like, wow. He honestly, you know what though? This came out after the crash. I almost feel like it would feel because Dreamcatcher didn't necessarily feel like a new direction. It almost felt like Tommy Knocker's territory where he was yeah. learning how to how to ride a bike. Mm. Whereas with he, if he did this right after the crash, it may have indicated, oh wow, are these the kind of novels we're going to see from him now? And something shorter, more compact, maybe a little bit more inward. Which we do. I mean, he he kind of gets back around to doing the big mammoth novels. But even what we're seeing now with like Elevation, and I haven't read um, Billy Summers or Later, but those are shorter books too, right? And and yeah. a little bit more character. Well, Later is Later is and. Yeah. Um, um, Gwen, you know, Gwenny's button box, all that. So I, I feel like maybe this, in a way, it did indicate a direction he would eventually go in. But I feel like if it had been placed right after the accident, people may have been like, oh, is this what we're going to expect from now? And like the, the change would have been flagged a bit more, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because it's strange. It's just like for a, a novel that's so, you know, connected to the struggle of life and holding on to your life and, and the ability to survive and, and, and hit those hurdles, it is kind of eerie that this came out right before mm-hmm. that i mean it's just it, i don't know it's just something it's so audible you know yeah it's it is yeah. the so yeah right <laughs> jesus um, yeah. i i don't think that this book ever would have been written i think yeah. that his mind was in a different place and i think it was changed forever after that accident i think you know obviously down the line he kind of would start to go back to some of the elements that happened you know mm-hmm. before 2000 2001 but if he ever did it i feel like it would have come out in place of uh, Faithful, which is the yeah. the book about mm-hmm. the Red Sox the year they won the World Series. I wonder if this would have come out or something inspired by this would have come out instead of that um, nonfiction book. Have you read mm-hmm. that? I have. I'm really looking forward to that. I never read it. I'm dying I, I read it. Oh, I really? enjoyed it. Yeah, I oh, liked okay. it a lot more than I thought it was. I was going well, to. Well, it was a yeah. coincidence that he, ha- he just happened to write it not knowing that the Red Sox were obviously going to win the World Series, I think, mm-hmm. too. So that's that should be interesting to, to read. Isn't that well, weird that that seemed to be going along for a lot of variations in pop culture? Like they were filming Fever Pitch around yeah. the same time. Then, they reshot at the ending because they actually ended up winning the World Series. And like King infamously even like, uh, if I recall, like didn't he like on, a t- on the telecast like predict that they were going to come back from the 03 or the 3 um run with like the Yankees? Yeah. Maybe we'll read all about it in yeah. 2005. Yeah, that's true. That is true. We'll find out. We'll find out. What if we should have done that in conjunction with this? Jen, do you think that was... Oh, faithful. We could, yeah, do you think we could wait it? We could wait for it at this point. <laughs> yeah, we can wait. Yeah, it okay. is. It's a. It's it's really good, but it is a different kind of story. Um, yeah. It could be the 20 year anniversary. 
yeah. at this point. Yeah, 2021, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But it is interesting because I think when we're looking at things that happened 20 years ago and we're looking at a writing career that has spanned like what 40 years at this point and I'm sorry if my head math is wrong, but like it's easier it's easy for us to put things in chunks, you know, but like he's not writing the girl who loved Tom Gordon thinking, "Well, I'm going to have an accident in the next year and I'm going to totally change directions," you know. Yeah. And it is it but it's interesting the way things just kind of fall, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see like like arcs. And I think a lot of that happen, happens because there's just so much work, you know, like it's not like we're analyzing the crap out of one single book. It's we've got 70 books that we can um, kind of dig into and see a lot of patterns that come out. Um, but let's bring it back. And you know what brings it back? The hook brings it back. So let's go <laughs> to the hook. Oh, yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can... I can change it. You can change it, exactly. Um, so this is... And, you know, I'm going to go a little bit out of order because we were talking about the sub-audible, and I think let's continue talking about that because I think, Justin, I, I'm not sure if you were kidding about this, but when you said it's the sub-audible, like... No. I was like, well, yeah, maybe it might be like it's just things are falling into place kind of the way they should, you know, and I think this is a really interesting exploration of God. And I look at it kind of I sometimes I wonder if it's a chicken or egg thing about the way that I imagine God and the subaudible lines up with King because I've grown up reading it or if I am drawn to King because our understandings are the same. And I don't think there's any way to piece it apart, but um this seems to me like the subaudible is like fate or nature or like the uncontrollable. And I think Trisha's journey here, a lot of that is just making peace with that. And that, that you know, and we'll talk about the, the climax, but I think I feel that with King here is that he is making peace with with God. And he's saying, I don't necessarily have to have everything figured out. I don't have to be like David in desperation and have my idea really firmly latched. It's okay to just say, yeah, this is something that's under the surface and I can feel it, but I don't quite know what it is. There's a great quote in this. And I feel like if all the religion talk that Dan alluded to earlier, especially that King has been sprinkling in or flat out shoving in her face in terms of like the stand. I think it's one of the best lines here and that kind of even sync up with my ultimate feelings on faith and anything else out there and the subaudible in this case. And it's from Trisha's father says this and he says, I don't believe in any actual thinking God that marks the fall of every bird in Australia or every bug in India, a God that records all of our sins in a big golden book and judges us when we die. I don't want to believe in a God who would deliberately create bad people and then deliberately send them to roast in the hell he created. But I believe there has to be something. Um, I think that kind of permeates through the book. And I think that for Trisha, uh, the something is happens to manifest in her imagining Tom Gordon being yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. throughout. Yeah. Do you guys yeah. think that that it because I I was thinking about Ka a lot too, and it might be because I'm so <laughs> oh, totally I'm, ca I'm catching up in on um as I, I I haven't listened to the Wizard and Glass episode yet because I'm still reading it. So I'm, maybe it's because I'm in that in also in dark tower world right now, but I kept thinking of Kyle, like just this once again, like the more universalist idea of all of it, but y'all, it sounds like y'all were thinking that too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just that, just that idea that nameless something that he talks about. I mean, like the, the quote on like page 72, and it's like, I think there is a force that keeps drunken teenagers, most drunken teenagers from crashing their cars. You know, like that seems like something that that would feel like if King asked, if someone asked King about Ka, 
<laughs> like that would be like kind of his 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 uh you know response to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it kind of I feel like when you get into survival horror, at least in the literary sense, like the the notions of God or a supreme being always come into play. Um, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's it's not a surprise to me that when while reading this, I actually was thinking a lot of the revenant. Um, mm. and one of the th- reasons why I really gravitated to that story and I take so much umbrage with people like, like kind of shitting on the movie and being like, Oh, it's about nothing. And you know, it's just a fucking performance piece for Leo. I'm like, well, no, um, it's a, movie. And <laughs> it's a, it's a great movie. And th- thematically, I think what it really gets at is something that, um, kind of ties in here is that the concept of God is that it's anything that drives us in any situation in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like in the movie, like at one point in the, in the revenant, Tom Hardy, uh, he talks to Will Poulter and he says early on about how like uh, there was a, a squirrel was God to a past acquaintance of his um, mm. simply because it provided that man sustenance. And he talks about how um, he ought to be God to him because he saved Will Poulter's life. And when you look at it mm. structurally in the whole movie, and this is when I reviewed it back in God 2015, which is like uh, 30 years ago, um, I talked about how like God really is interchangeable to everyone in that movie for like Leonardo DiCaprio. It's trying, it's his dead wife and son that keeps driving him, um, you know, forward. Um, and for Tom Hardy it was the future in Texas for the Indian father it was, his, you know, the lost daughter. And again, it's like whatever keeps you breathing, whoever keeps you alive and whatever you truly believe in, um, it doesn't really matter if you have that focal point in your life mm-hmm. and that could be what you call god or it could be just what keeps you going and for example here like what, what justice says yeah tom gordon is that figure i feel like and i I, lo- I looked at it almost like kind of going back with like a lot of what king loves to do where he has the light and the dark i felt like you know tom gordon is that light and then you have this the the, the wasp hornet as like death which is the bear mm-hmm. You know, and that seems mm-hmm. to be kind of the case with almost every survival story, especially anything with man versus nature. You have that that's those opposing forces, I feel like, at some point mm-hmm. in the literary story. So I feel like that's for me, that's kind of how I broke down the religiosity of it all. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Sorry, right, that was Kate, a long way to explain. Well, <laughs> K- King's <laughs> Dominion, Mike, because Ian Poulter from The Revenant was originally supposed to play Pennywise. That is true. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. And Carrie well, Fukunaga's different it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and it's like that one thing in City Slickers, you know, like that find your, your thing that mm. works for you, you know. And I think like this is coming. I, I don't know where King is in the steps in his recovery at this point, but like that is like a really important element in sobriety is finding a reason, finding a grander design to keep you doing this really hard thing. And that's what Trisha is doing is she's, she's got to keep going. And, uh, you know, having a daughter that's nine years old, I couldn't, I don't want to be that parent. That's like, Oh my God, it's so different when you're a parent. But like, I couldn't help, but think like what my daughter would do at this point, you know? And I think she has this drive and she has this thing that she she has found that keeps her going. Um, and there was another quote that was about the subaudible that I really liked. And it kind of ties in, into what you're saying, Mike, about um, survival horror. The coldly, be- oh, it's on page 92. The coldly beautiful face of the moon suggested to her that the subaudible was more plausible after all. A God who didn't know he or it, with a capital I, was a God, one with no interest in lost little girls, one with no real interest in anything, a knocked out loaded God whose mind was like a circling cloud of bugs and whose eye was the wrapped and vacant moon. And I think that kind of goes back a little bit to like God is cruel from desperation, but it's like a kinder understanding. It's like this just is. This is just the world that we're in like the world has teeth but it also has like 
warm arms and like beauty mm. in it. Yeah. So do you guys yeah. think that because in Desperation Regulars, it's Tack is like the form of well, yeah. it's like the evil god, right? Which is almost like Ka, like T A K, the K A. So I mean, it's, it's probably that's probably nothing, but yeah, I just thought that. <laughs> I'm very smart. Um, Here, here's a question I had uh, that and Justin, this is pretty to you because I feel like you can you can definitely um, relate. Do you feel like this story is almost like King wrestling with his fandom for the Red Sox because it's '99, they haven't won yet. And I feel like the book can kind of be seen as like a parallel to being a Red Sox fan, that idea that you always have these brushes with greatness and you always have these really hard hitting moments of failure, but you never leave, you never lose hope. You always keep believing. And I feel like in Moneyball kind of gets at this. And I watched it last night at three in the morning for some reason, but uh, they, I, they get at the idea that like the only, you know, you could have all these like successful moments, but in the end, of the, in the end, the last game is what really counts. Um, you know, at least to a lot of people. And I feel like in this respect, like that the last game is just making sure you get that next day. Right. Mm -hmm. And I almost wonder if King is kind of spiritually wrestling with his own fandom of being a Red Sox fan. Like he, I was reading an article or essay about his, about his reaction to fever pitch. Um, just cause I was trying to find some Tom Gordon research on this. And he talked about how he actually related with, um, Jimmy Fallon's character in the movie, which by the way, it's the Nick Hornby novel has nothing to do with the Red Sox. It actually has soccer, to do with like right? soccer. Yeah. Football is, is the movie yeah, good? Football. I, football. I, 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 I like the movie. movie. Yeah. I think it's a good movie. And Stephen King appears in it, by the way. Um, he, oh, does really? the opening, he does the opening pitch for that year. And, um, and he talks about how he relates that because for him, Red Sox is a religion. And I wonder if he was kind of wielding a little bit of that in this because, I mean, doesn't it, do, does it feel almost like a survival horror being a Cubs fan or did it prior to 2016, <laughs> Justin? I mean, I think it, it does, kind of especially, you know, there's a lot of passive fans, you know, and obviously, you know, you don't want to devote so much of your time to a losing effort, aka the Red Sox and Cubs for decades upon decades, in some cases, centuries. Um, but I actually do. I never. I didn't really think of it that way in terms of the conclusion of the story. Like in terms of a real through through outline of oh, this is actually what fandom is. Is is you're feeling like you're lost in the woods, but you keep going. You keep going because, boy, if it happens, it's gonna feel so sweet. And that's mm -hmm. obviously her survival. It was worth it because God, life feels so good now. Mm -hmm. uh, I like that take, Mike. I never. Yeah. I didn't really think of it that way. It just. It just came to me. I was. I was just thinking about the idea of the struggle of being that fan and just like how easy it is to lose. I, I honestly think it's because of Moneyball. I was watching it last time. <laughs> and the yeah. idea that like, it'd be so easy to just give up and be like, fuck this. Like it's, everything's against me. Well, Cause that's what Moneyball, happens. Uh, how can you not be romantic about baseball? I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, God. If I can now, that's maybe you, you accidentally segged into my, uh, my tangent, not tangent, but my soliloquy about baseball and, and just sports mm. in general. And I think there's a great excerpt here that uh, this is when she's really getting down in it and she's, I think it's either the first or second time she's listening to a game. And it says, uh, King writes, Trisha slid off the fallen tree to the ground. The bark scraped against the wasp stings on her hip, but she hardly noticed. Mosquitoes settled with immediate hungry, intent on her bare back where her shirt and the tatters of the blue poncho had mucked up, but she didn't feel them. And this is a great instance of how sports can absolutely take you away. And I've tried to, people ask me, like, why do you like baseball and basketball and football and sports so much? And I think in a lot of ways... It's because it really is, in, in a way, it's detached from reality. It will take you away because everything happening in the world doesn't matter. All that matters is what's happening on that field or on that court. And especially now, um, 20 years after this book came out, it's the last true drama that we have, the last true bit of suspense that we have. Because now, 
before we watch any movie, we can have it spoiled for us. Before we read any book, we can go to the last page. But with sports, you absolutely have no idea what's going to happen second to second. And I think that's why I love it so much because it's like the last bit of drama that we can really have. A fun, I should say fun drama because there's obviously a lot of nightmares <laughs> yeah. going out that we don't know from day to day that's going to be happening that we're living yeah. through. But uh, I think that's what can really uh, make such a huge impact. And I remember around the time, I think, I think it was like right after my mom had passed away. We were all kind of just in the living room, you know, um, I think getting ready for the funeral even. Or the next day, people were coming to town. And I remember it was opening day at Wrigley Field and uh, Kosuke Fukudome hit like a three-run homer to tie the game. We were all like jumping up and down. And we were like, I can't believe like we're able to have this reaction to this despite everything else going around. And I think that's just another example of why people can gravitate towards not just, you know, the quote-unquote American pastime, but uh, sports in general. Yeah, I, like I don't that. know. It's just, it's, just, it's, a, it's a thing that, even the, even the fact that I just tried to explain it, I still can never fully explain what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another intriguing thing about uh, sports and fandom in general, for me at least. It's like the try, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. when we were doing, Justin, we did like a list of baseball movies a few, a few yeah, years, ago. Yeah, years ago. And I was trying to explain why I love Major League. And I think one of the reasons why I love that is that it is, it's just about a you know a group of underdogs that, that keep trying, that keep going, mm-hmm. that keep trying. And I think sports is that for us. Like we, you know, we talked, I just talked about how I love survival horror and I love survival stories in general. Sports is kind of that. Like it's this timeless triumph. Like if you just see great feats that happen again and again, and you're like, how the fuck did that happen? And you don't get that in like, I mean, I guess in movies, sometimes you get performances and stuff like that. You're like, wow, that's an amazing performance. But this is something different. Like this is like humanity. Like this is mm-hmm. like our, what our species are able to do, how they're able to endure, how they're able to ha- tackle those hurdles. And I'm wondering like, maybe that's what gets us back all the time. Like it keeps mm-hmm. going. Like, what are we going to do next? I mean, like, yeah. Uh, even if there's a shitty season for any league, I feel like there's at least one or two or three bright spots where you're like, holy shit, I can't believe that happened. You know? Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. Right? There's well, always a buzzer so- beater that happens in the middle of a 60 loss season or a, a game winning home run that happens in the middle of a 90 loss season. Something always will happen. You know? Yeah. They'll bring you back. Yeah. The and hook it's will unscripted. bring you back, Jen, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but it's like you were saying, it's drama, but it's unscripted. And I think mm-hmm. it's not tailored to what we want it to be, which I think as uplifting as a lot of movies I find are, there's always in the back of my mind, like this is designed for me to feel uplifted. And I think when you watch sports and that great thing happens, it is, it's, it's genuine and it's honest and it's a surprise a lot of times. And the thing I think a lot about with sports that is really inspiring to me is that there, it's like failure on a grand scale you know like Mm -hmm. I think about that U2 song stuck in a moment about the guy who misses the kick (laughs) and like couldn't get out of it but like you think like you watch football and like every player on the field is going to fuck up on a world stage at least once in every game and you keep going and I you know lots of times I say well if the worst thing that happens to you today is that like you miss a pass in the NFL you're doing okay but you still like everybody in the world is seeing I mean not everyone in the world but millions of people see you fuck up and you got to keep going and I think that there's something really inspirational about that and I think it's like I always like the reality shows where it's not as much as I love Survivor I like the ones that are just like Great British Baking Show like just do your best 
and mm. whoever did the best wins, you know, and I think that's yeah. what sports is and it's unifying. It's like we are celebrating the be- people trying their best and it's it's connecting because it connects Trisha to the larger world. And I think that is what keeps her going is that this she is not truly alone. You know, there are other people that are in that that channel with her um, and. So I guess that can lead us into the other theme, baseball. We've been talking about it. But um, Mike, I know you found an article about Tom Gordon and his response to this. Yeah. Wanna- so I, because I was trying to find, I know like you actually reached out to Tom Gordon on Facebook, right, Justin? <laughs> or, I reached or- out on Instagram oh, really? to him. And Did I get don't, back? what if I get back? What if I check it again? And he's like, oh, it- love to do it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> No, but uh, Mr. Gordon did not did not get back to me. But no. like, I don't know if he matches his own Instagram. Did he see? Point. Did he like see the message? You know, it says if they've seen the message to say that he saw it. What, what <laughs> if it did? But it's a, a thumbs down, like a mistake. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's like fuck off. Uh, right. fuck off. Uh, well, he's apparently charmed by this story. I because I really wanted to know. Like, there's got to been he had to have had a quote or something about it. And right, he he. The only thing I could find was this 2005 New York Times article. So this is like it's a year after the po- two, Mike. Oh, so you have the only thing I can find too. If you have, no, I, I don't have it written down. I just, you go ahead. I think we're yeah, it was that. like it was this piece called "The Emotional Excitable Tom Gordon," and here's the, the section that that specifies specifically out of the book. Gordon delights in talking about his title role on the 1999 Stephen King novel, "The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon," a story in which he's a pillar of confidence to a nine-year-old girl lost in the woods of Maine. Written when Gordon was closer for the was a closer for the Red Sox, it was released as a pop-up children's book last year. It was up to her to close to seal the deal, King wrote, describing the girl's encounter with a bear. You had to be still inside and save in safe situations. Had to pull your cap down low like Tom Gordon. Had to look the opposition in the eye and show you were better. When King was on a book tour a few years ago, he called Gordon and invited him to lunch. Gordon said that he admired King, but that King had not quite captured his character. Calm in the inside, Gordon strives to be, but it is not his nature. Gordon has lasted this long on nervous energy and it will probably always be his fuel. And he says, I wouldn't change a thing. To be aggressive and to be excited, that's a wonderful thing in this game. When you're scared, that's something different. But to be excited and aggressive, that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I guess in a way that's still the cold, like it's still like cold water in the veins in a way, right? I mean, it's just anxiety, I guess. That's what kind of fuels you. I mean, it's still at the end of the day. That's my, you still have to be cool under pressure. Yeah. Whether yeah. whether in your in your head you're screaming or yeah. but but nobody sees it. That's the thing. You've got to at least keep the illusion that you are in total control. And I think that's uh, the thing about the reliever, especially in, in baseball. And that's why it's so clever of all the different sports that King loves and could have taken from in, in different positions to use the the reliever, you yeah. know, because it really does come down to the reliever and it's the reliever who is in the center of the, you know, the infield and thousands upon thousands of people there are just looking at that person. You know what I mean? Not to blow it. And I think no matter how you feel on the inside, it's, it's the stillness from the outside that you have got to um, put out there. Do you think that's the strep, the, the, the hardest position in any sports? Is that moment? I think it's between that and then being a a, a, a kicker in the NFL. Yeah, kicker, a field, goal, a field goal kicker. In the NFL. Or like so if you have like, tough. or if like you're, you know, you're like LeBron with three seconds left in the game, and they have, they're like, all right, it's you. Yeah, but at least in that case, you know, you've got somebody two inches in front of you and you've got yeah, nine other people on the court. So it's like, well, if you miss it, you know, it's tough. You I know, mean, it's those situations that, I mean, it's just, it's all millions of eyes, all yeah, just one person for one play, which seems, I mean, I, I don't know much about sports, but yeah, I, I would imagine that's the, if you would feel the pressure then. 
And it's that vast field too. It's not just like a court. It's like that vast, huge field, that green field. And everybody's just looking at the center, you know? You know who does a really good job in showing that sort of internalization is um, that Sam Raimi movie for the love of the game. Oh, yeah. Does a, re- yeah. Does a really good job at like just kind of getting in the mind of the pitcher. And, and you know, Cosner is, you know, no stranger to baseball. And, and he's probably, I would probably argue like probably the best actor that ever done baseball on screen probably. But um, it, it just really gets into that idea of like you really do have to kind of have a, a real spiritual well-being with yourself or like a, a connectivity with yourself and seems like Gordon has that. I, I would love to know what their conversations were on the book tour or when they actually sat down, you know, mm-hmm. to hang out. You like a, my, my dinner with Gordon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my lunch with Gordon. Yeah. Well, but it's interesting because we were talking about like, and in the afterward, he makes a note that says this, this Tom Gordon is fictional. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying, Mike, about finding your one thing. It's like, it doesn't necessarily matter if he himself is feeling still inside. That is what Trisha needs in this moment. Mm-hmm. And so that is what enables her to keep going. And that's kind of that inspirational thing that we can take from sports or we can take from the subaudible or we can take from God. It's what works for us in this moment. And I think where people get really tripped up or really led astray is when we don't allow ourselves that flexibility to just get what we need from something and kind of leave the rest, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move into the other theme that I wanted to talk about um, is this is a single character um, novel, not necess- not technically because there are different characters, but it is um, another, we talked about it maybe being a stealth eclipse novel and we talked about Gerald's came Gerald's Game Jr., but I wanted to mention another uh, couple of stories that it kind of has a lot of the same DNA as. There's a story called The Gingerbread Girl, which is in mm. Just After Sunset, which we haven't covered on the pod, so I don't, don't want to go in depth. But 2027. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> real. Yeah. God, no exaggeration. Uh, but it's, I love it. If you like Tom Gordon mm. and you haven't read The Gingerbread Girl, I would highly recommend that. Yes. Justin, have you read it? Yes. Really good. Yeah. It's crazy, Jen, reading these like Nightmares and Dreamscapes collection. And then to know, oh no, he's going to have a few more short story collections that are actually really strong. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel mean, like it's just crazy. But. Skeleton yeah. Crew, I mean, Skeleton Crew's got a lot of good stuff in it, but I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff in it too. I feel like Skeleton Crew and Nightmares and Dreamscapes and Four Past Midnight, which I know is more novellas than short stories. I honestly feel like the, those are among his like worst collections. I mean, yeah. I love Night Shift is perfect. It will probably always be the best, but just after sunset, everything's eventual, even bizarre, bad dreams. But yeah. he has some really good short story collections later on in his, in his career. And yeah, Gingerbread Man, or Gingerbread Girls is an excellent one. I just yeah. keep hearing like Michael Jackson, like the gingerbread girl. <laughs> oh, no. oh my ghost part two. <laughs> oh. Gingerbread oh, yeah. girl. Uh. She ran down the beach. Gingerbread girl. Sorry. Uh, well, as yeah. I learned with stats, our, our listeners really love Michael Jackson. Uh, that, that's <laughs> me being sarcastic. Yeah. It was like, like lowest rated episode, but yeah. Anyway, hey, I, thought, uh, I listened. You know what? I that's listened a great episode, episode. I thought it was excellent. I thought yeah, it was excellent. So people didn't listen to it. There's a lot of discussion about everything to do with, with, with MJ and the video, I think, it's a great balance in that. You got, some, you got three uh, Jacko scholars on there. So um, yeah. it was, it was a good, you know, we tried. <laughs> well, and speaking of the other collect, like the earlier collections we just mentioned, there's also the ledge and then there's grandma mm. and there's mm. survivor type, all kind of um, single character. And we have a lot of internal monologue and I don't necessarily think like grandma's probably the most, the one that has the most in common with um, the girl who loved Tom Gordon. But are there any others that you can think of other than like misery, I guess is, that's a dual. That's like a twofer, basically. I mean, well, you know what one is, and I, it sucks because I kind of can't spoil the big plot point about this to explain why it's similar to Tom Gordon is Blaze. 
by Richard Bachman, which is also a lost in the mm. wilderness kind of story that mm. is kind of one character, but mm. th- there's actually a really big connection between this and Tom Gordon. But I don't want to go too much into it because it'll be, when are we getting to that? <laughs> 20, yeah. Probably yeah. also 2027. <laughs> this will actually kind of key into my misery later on, but uh, a little secret window. So your window mm. yeah, yeah. just I follows the protagonist for the most mm. part, right? Yeah. You yeah. stole my fiddlehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> John Chaturo. Hey, fiddleheads yeah. make an appearance in this book, too. Yeah, that's they true. They do, you yeah. know. Well, and speaking of windows, then to fiddlehead gardens, windows are part of the structure of a house. And oh. um, fiddleheads oh, in format both start with the letter F. So let's go to <laughs> <laughs> the structure and format. Um, and I love the the way this book is plotted. I think it's really smart and the way that it lines up because it's it's uh, the chapter heads are all called um, innings and like the pregame. And then there's the the fourth inning and then the seventh inning stretch, which love is it. like the, you know, and nothing much happened in August, you know, from it. And I just think it's a really smart way of doing this, but it feels organic. It doesn't feel gimmicky, you know. Yeah. Can, I, can I ask a question about this for the sports heads in the room? Hmm. How come... And, and I didn't know. I mean, so only certain numbers of innings have the top and the bottom. So I think oh, the no. Fourth. They always have a top and bottom. No, no. But I know I know in real life they do. But I'm saying in yeah. the book that he only he only does like I think I want, I want to say top of the fourth, bottom of the fourth. And maybe he does it for the eighth or ninth. I can't remember. I was wondering why he did that. And I was like, oh, did it, are, is the fourth inning usually longer in real life than nor? I, I was just wondering why he only did. The that top was the a little confusing, some. too, because I thought maybe that when he did the top and the bottom half of the innings, that those were shorter sections yeah but i think like the top of the fourth or the top of the fifth is really it's long. long that's it like is. the longest so that's not yeah, really was, the case I, really... I couldn't figure out if also if he was trying to make some type of an, uh, an, an analogy with uh pitching and then hitting but i didn't yeah. really catch any of or that. Ma- maybe it was a thing out. where he j- he did just have because i think it's only two of the innings do that d- divided between the top and the bottom mm-hmm. maybe those were one chapter and they were just so long that he had to like cut it in half i think that's something. what it was. that's possible that's too yeah. what it they're was. both yeah. so long yeah. but i was wondering I, I when his reading like oh is our fourth innings longer usually i, I wasn't sure but uh, so it sounds like well, maybe it was just some an inconsistency well king kind of just goes like he he you know he's like the, what the joker says he just chases cars uh like a dog chasing <laughs> yeah, cars he's uh, an agent of chaos yeah <laughs> like well that, that's that, that's how he writes and like he doesn't i mean i think in in editing he's certainly meticulous about how he's going to break it all down and all but i i do think that's what happened was that yeah. you know he, he's got this long section he can only break it down so much because i mean really there is no i mean i've been to baseball games where like the second inning goes on for like a fucking 45 minutes and oh, yeah. it just blows through or like mm-hmm. the seventh inning goes on for a while or they're you know the ninth inning just seems like it's never going to end. And you're like, should we just, should we listen on the radio home? Like, do you want to go? So I don't think it's any, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's an app, you know, baseball is all nothing but statistics. I'm sure there's like definitely average of innings that are a lot, you know, longer than the other, but I, I do think it was just a, Ah, Tabby, I got to split this up. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what do you think? Oh, Tabby's like, you need a bottom, you, you need a top of the seven, yeah. seven stretch and I, bottom of seven. I just um, always picture, I know that he hasn't had his accent yet, but he talks about how he, learn to write i think he said his, his writing office in the pantry right after after 
the car accident because he couldn't move a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I and it, so I know he's not writing in a pantry at this point, but anytime you do the tabby, I just always picture him sitting amongst a bunch of canned food, being like, "Hey, tabby!" Like crawling <laughs> over his shoulder, like, like and like the black just, eyed peas are in like a shelf above <laughs> him. Like, and we just hear her voice from the other other room, like, "Like, yes, yeah, Stephen, just divide it up." He's like, "All right, thanks." And it's like, just goes back. It's like, Stephen, I told you, just ring the bell next time, and I'll come in and help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will I say this about the. You. Jen, to go back to your thing about the, t- the titling of, of the chapters, this could have easily backfired because mm-hmm. I think about The Running Man yeah, uh-huh. and the countdown and you're like, oh my God, there's still 30 chapters. <laughs> like, oh my God, there's still 20 minutes yeah. or 20 seconds left, whatever it is. This easily could have been like, oh my God, there's still five innings left, you know? Mm-hmm. I never felt that way reading the book though because it yeah. does really just, like Mike said, just moves, moves. Like, I think that... Uh, there's not a hundred percent fat cutting or you know trimming of the fat uh, that King often forgets to do, mm-hmm. but this is pretty slim. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like this book could have really been split down the middle. Where I'm not sure who I know, Jen. I know you definitely read Rose Matter, but this could have easily been like a half of it's with Trisha, and then the other half is with her parents. Yeah, trying mm-hmm. to to navigate. Right. It was so clever of him. Well, not even clever. Just look. It was logically smart of him to just ninety. Seven percent of the time, stick with her. Do not leave the woods. And yeah. I think that he succeeds, and for the most part, with that. I completely agree. Yeah. And I wanted to. Um, the the only thing I'll say about the innings too is I think there is kind of a a shift in the fourth inning. And I say that as a a parent who's now taken young kids to baseball games, and mm. like we're not making it through the whole game. We go in knowing that, and it's like the third inning is kind of when the newness of the game starts to wear off. And I do think that's where you feel Trisha kind of um, settling into where she is. It's like, she talks Mm. about remembering tying her shoes in the morning and that it feels such a long time ago. And that might not be in the fourth inning, but it's just this feeling of like, okay, we're in the game now. This is, this is really happening. It's not like our nerves are kind of over, you know? Um, But yeah, I think it probably was just padding. I think he wanted to do pregame and then the ninth and then the seventh inning stretch and everything there just kind of laid out the way it needed to. Um, But that's Justin, it's interesting that you mentioned that because another um, section of the review that I wanted to read, which is a criticism of what you were kind of alluding to. And it's from, oh gosh, I think it's from that entertainment weekly one. Um, nope, it's from the New York Times. Christopher Lehman Hout said, <laughs> um, let's see where did, okay. So he said, more damagingly, King insists on several times stepping beyond Trisha's point of view to report how the search for her is going, what her parents are up to and how her brother is feeling. While all of this information could easily have been conveyed in the context of Trisha's experience, for instance, by reporting it on her radio, as in fact, her being lost is announced or by having her extrapolate it from past experience, as in fact she imagines her family's reaction to her crisis. Working it in as King has done only dissipates the narrative tension he has built. And I actually disagree with that. I, I agree, think it's yeah. just the right amount, you know? What I, Do y'all have thoughts? I Like I said, I, I'm happy that he got 97% right by just focusing on her for the most part. I mm-hmm. do think, I, I mean, I kind of do agree with that criticism, though. I do think a lot of it could have been conveyed through the Walkman. Um mm-hmm. It only would have added to the tension of what's going on. I think that when you're when you're with somebody who's lost the entire time, it's going to be a different impact of occasionally alluding to what's going on in the outside world. Mm-hmm. Because when you're with Trisha, the outside world shouldn't even be in existence. It should, it should just be the vastness of nature, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I I understand where that criticism is coming from. I don't think it's a 
ultimately a major detriment to the book, though. I just think it's a it's a criticism that that could be made of the book. Yeah, because I mean, he could have done. I mean, like as you said, Justin, like he definitely exerts some you know some control here, because there are just so many instances where he could have just been king being king and just go on a tangent and give us a side story yeah. about you know how he you know how this happened or why this item has even some more relevance and. Yeah, he does have some restraint here, but I guess in hindsight, yeah, I do wonder what this book would look like if you didn't know about the motel room or you didn't know about the, you really just only had the reports. Maybe it is, a, it probably is a tighter, but even tighter book than it is at this point. Yeah, yeah I mean, I wouldn't, it's not a deal breaker for me by any means going, yeah. you know, these little vignettes we have. But for, I think Trisha's memories of all them, like her memories with her dad are to me much more powerful than actually seeing them in real time. And I, yeah, just imagine if, I do. I mean, I don't know. I do like the mom and dad like sharing a bed after you know after after like yeah. a while. That there's just something that feels very real about that among these parents are splitting up. But I keep Hell wondering yeah. how how powerful could that have been if we don't see the mom or the dad till the very end of the hospital room and she just sees her family in there. Exactly. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. know. I mean, because yeah. I don't. I don't necessarily get that the parents are going to get back together or anything at the end of the novel. Mm -hmm. But it, but I'm like, oh, it, it's neat to have that possibility. Like if she just sees them together and she's still in this kind of hallucinatory state and it's like, okay, what's going to happen with my family? I, yeah, I don't know. I think that would be dramatically maybe just a little bit more interesting well you know what yeah. this reminds me of it reminds me of uh castaway because one of the the directives that zemeckis set out for himself and i think hanks was also in agreement with this is that you're never going to leave the island you do mm. not go back to the mainland until he goes back to the mainland spoiler alert mm -hmm. for anyone who hasn't seen the 20 year old castaway. <laughs> someone's like oh, um, i was just putting it on oh my god i thought he made that cross i thought he was gonna kill himself but uh <laughs> I, so i but he's like i'm halfway through um but yeah i, I and i think that really works for castaway i, I think that mm -hmm. when you do get back there it, it is such a revelation you know revelation to see where everyone is to see the his reactions to the society so, oh, yeah. In hindsight, I do kind of wish that they that they had a total disconnect from it because it it, yeah. it does make more sense because it is very weird. She's a little jarring. Like yeah. when they go when they go there, I was like, oh wait, what? We're here now. I mean, like I said, and they're not there long enough for it to really bother me. But yeah, I, I had that question too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, there are two moments that I do really enjoy and we can talk about those in our next section briefly, but I like a moment with his, with her brother and I like a moment with the mother where they're, they're experiencing her loss, you know, but I mean, I could, I, so I think I kind of like the inclusion, but I could see that argument because it also reminds me of the ruins, which is yeah. really yeah. tense and you never mm. leave the hill. And that one doesn't even have chapter breaks. Like it, it has breaks in text, but it just keeps going and there's not, any like goalposts or anything, you know. I think the ruins is a lot more lighthearted. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. We um, yeah. we should say too, Castaway is free to watch on Tubi. I just checked. So. Oh, oh hey, Tubi. what a surprise! Yeah. Love Tubi. Tubi. Love Tubi. Amazing. Love Tubi. From uh, by the way, to Warner Brothers. I mean, they got it all. <laughs> it should be noted that we are sponsored by Tubi. So uh, oh, hey, hey, we're on brand on that one. So th there's some you know some free. I really do there. like Tubi. Well, hey, Tubi's free. free. I'm not paying for Tubi. I don't feel oh, bad yeah, about that. I jokingly bring it up all the time, but I love Tubi. I've watched so many movies past year on it so thank you to me yeah. thank yeah. you you know well, but I, one thing also that i i think works though for the third person mission is that the is when king is able to do the foreshadowing and able to mm -hmm. like one of my favorite passages where i literally had to stop and i like had to tell sammy about it is when she pivots to the left and goes the mm. wrong way. He's like, oh, mm. you know, she did the worst mistake ever. You know, one of her second worst mistakes. And that, mm. you know, that town was right above beyond the the next marsh uh, that, that she stumbles upon. And that, you know, 
where she's going is 400 miles away from Montreal and nothing much else beyond that. And it's like, yeah. in that case, when you get to kind of get away from her point of view, that works. Like, mm-hmm. I like that. Oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's great. But yeah. yeah. Well, and there's that other moment where they start tracking a pedophile, you know, and you're, you know, that you're wasting time on this. Like, widen your search you know it's just those moments Mm. of tension that i don't i think we would lose and then it i mean it's it's hard to say because it could be a long period of time of her just in the woods and it could be that that breaks it up a little bit um but i did want to mention the bookends of this because i just love the text here um it starts with the text the world had teeth and it could bite you with them anytime it wanted and i love that just Mm -hmm. That's just such a fantastic sentence telling you exactly what this is going to be. And then the end, the last, it's not the actual last sentence, but it's what I like to think is the last sentence. Um, And it's when she has just done the save sign with her dad. She said, the smile that lit his face from the eyes down was the sweetest, truest thing she had ever seen. If there was a path, it was there. And I just love the way this book is bookended because it is Trisha's journey. I love that we don't ever know if her parents get back together um, because that's not what this is about. She is not lost to reunite them. She's lost and saves herself. And I love that she, she saves, you know, it's just really sweet. And I think there's a lot of restraint there, given that this is an author who we know can write thousand page books, you know, yeah. or, or could have had, like you said, John, that this could have been a 30 page epilogue of yeah. the family gets back together and right, they, went to, they, right. they met Tom Gordon, you know, that type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you imagine <laughs> oh that happening? Oh my I'm God. shaking, imagining. <laughs> that would be like the Gerald Dame Cotto for me. Kiss and kiss. And that's what I've been missing. They're like the in the hospital. They're in the hospital room. Like Trish, you did it. You got out of the woods. We have a special guest for you here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. You know what that reminds he walks me walks in with balloons. I'd say I'm pretty impressed. We haven't been on a tangent in quite a while, but I guess I've got to mention this because that reminds me of Patriot Games, the book by Tom Clancy, <laughs> not the movie, but the book. Well, what happens at the end. after the opening, the intense, you know, shootout in, in the UK and, and the assassination attempt and everything else. Uh, Jack Ryan's in the hospital, you know, but then the I think the Queen visits him in the oh hospital and I think Princess Diana visits him. Somebody can name, she can check me on this, but I think it's separate visits. Princess Diana visits him to thank him and the Queen of England visits him to thank him. It's just, <laughs> I stopped what reading it at that fuck? point. I'm like, that Jack, is so you, stupid. Jack, that's but, the same right. Jack, you did it. You saved all yeah, of us. Like, I, I, it really would have been like, Tom Gordon's like, I got a lot to learn from you, young lady. I mean, <laughs> it could have easily done that. You know, it could have easily been that. I mean, you did, you, King didn't do it. King didn't this do is it. the opposite. It's the Thank very God. beginning, the beginning of the movie in um, Transformers Dark of the Moon. I think it's Buzz Aldrin, <laughs> like, plays himself in the beginning and, like, thanks Optimus Prime. It's so <laughs> I'm not joking. Like he just shows up. Like we want to thank you for it. That's so fucking dumb. Thank you very much, Buzz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Buzz. Uh, You're the real hero. Freedom here. is the right yeah. of all sentient beings. <laughs> well, speaking of heroes, uh, let's uh, move into a little space we call heroes and villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, Basil. <laughs> All right, and so heroes and villains is often where I talk about what characters I have crushes on, but there's not a lot of material there for this book. Um, the bear, so this is uh, where- <laughs> the bear. Tom Gordon. Tom Gordon, uh, the handsome. That's right. Handsome He's man. the dreamiest man in the world. Um, I also am into the wasp guy. I'm getting. Um, but <laughs> let's start with the girl herself, Trisha. Um, I love. I had compared her to Jesse Burlingame. I think she is just. Um, hmm. She's a really inspirational little girl. My slight criticism of this is that she feels like she's maybe 11, not 
quite nine. And that probably sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but like I do have a nine-year-old girl in my house right now. And this is, is, she just seems slightly more mature. And it could be said that like, she's like, like Danny, like she's just a genius kid. And I think Dan, you mentioned that in our text thread, like he's writing genius kids. And I think she's just a little older than her, you know. I think the exception, oh, sorry, Dan, you want to, to go on on that before I oh did, did I say the genius kid was, was that, that you who did say genius I oh I, I was I was maybe Mike I, I, I had mentioned it because because oh, in the shining episode from you know eighteen <laughs> years ago or whatever it was um we talk about how like Danny at times like it's like a forty year old like yeah forty year old that's yeah, yeah, yeah. egregious <laughs> for me yeah, yeah. I, I think that the one uh, the, the the little bit of a defense I can say here is a lot of the times when she's exclaiming things out loud or even thinking things internally. As one does when you're thinking internally. Genius, Justin. Um, <laughs> I, I think even she says, I don't understand what that means. Mm-hmm. But she's heard her parents say it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is going on as opposed to, you know, Professor Danny Torrance and The Shining. Professor I think it's Danny a little, Torrance. there's a little different thing there. And it's yeah. funny to think back too, though, that when he wrote The Shining, his kids were, I guess at that point, much younger than nine, right? Or they mm-hmm. were four or five, maybe the oldest. Yeah, they would be, I think. yeah I think yeah. so. Yeah, but early. now Maybe Owen wasn't even born. But now he's like a decade or so, decade plus beyond having kids who were nine. So once again, as opposed to just not having a nine-year-old kid, now he doesn't remember what his nine-year-old yeah. sounded like. You know, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, he can't I, win. He can't win. I do think with Tri- with yeah, with Danny for me, it's more just his personality. Like he's so much yeah. of an old soul that it's ridiculous. Yeah. Trisha to me doesn't so much in personality come off as older than nine to me. But to your point, Jen, I'm, I'm thinking about my niece who's eight, my sister's kid, Jane, very smart, resourceful kid and everything. But like, I remember over the summer, I, I, t- I took her to the beach and we were walking back and I, we were with my sister, my sister to go home early. So we had to bring back all the stuff ourselves. So I was carrying most of the stuff and I'm like, Jane, you have to carry your boogie board. Like that's the one thing you have to carry. And Jane like couldn't figure out how to do it under her arm and kept like like falling Aww. over with it. And I was like, Jane, come on. And she's like, I can't, she's like, I can't carry it. I'm like, no, you can carry it. Just like put it under your arm. And so, and, and once again, I'm not saying that means like Jane wouldn't be good in the woods, but I think there is like an awkwardness just a, a physically at that age a little mm-hmm. bit. And the, the one time for me where I, I can believe most of the stuff, I can believe that she'd figure out most of this. The one time for me is like, the cutting open the fish and like fashioning yes, the knife. And that I was like, ah, this, mm. like, I don't think I could do this. And I'm, I'd probably just be horrible outside. That was the one time where I'm like, this just seems like too advanced. And especially if she's in a dazed mental state and everything like that, that was, that was for me, like the one time where it went overboard a little bit. Yeah. She, that, at that scene, I'm like, what is she? Anthony Hopkins from the edge? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how the fuck is I'm she sure doing that? <laughs> I've got like, the whole trailer we'll do later on. I love that. Oh, edge. God. Love movie. it. Love that movie. I, I think also that could also be, you know, when your survivor in King, in, in King, who, when your survivor's uh, instinct kicks in. How far you'll get. You know, who who knows what we're capable of. But I did, I did have that similar note, though, Mike and Dan, as I said. Yeah. <laughs> I said, figuring out what berries and nuts to eat, gutting and eating a fish, coughing up blood, developing pneumonia near the end of her journey. I'd have died. Oh, <laughs> yes. I would have died a couple days in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to ask. Like, when would we have died in this? Well, how you long know? is she out there? Nine oh. days, eight oh, nights. Oh, it's that long. Okay. Because it seems yeah. shorter because, I mean, I guess, because I guess each inning is long almost time. a day. I, yeah. uh, I mean, I, the fiddleheads thing Here's the thing. I would have soldiered through and eaten more fiddleheads, probably. I'd be like, all right, dead deer, that's scary, but whatever. I got to eat these, these, these fiddleheads. And <laughs> oh. maybe I would just stay there and die on that island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jen, uh, I'm curious. What about you, though? I, I 
what can you get can you gut and eat the fish at the age of nine that's the real question okay so i went fishing in alaska in college and it and i caught a fish and i was dating a guy who knew an eskimo i'm sorry who knew an inuit person and that's why we went and they were like okay when you catch this fish you're gonna have to crush its head with a rock and that's what that's like part of fishing and i was like okay i can do it i'm tough you know and man son of a bitch that fish like was too wiggly and it was too gross and slimy and i could not do it um so yeah it was a personal failure moment for me that i still kind of regret but but i think like that my survival didn't depend on that moment you know there we go yeah, like yeah. i really think and i think about this a lot like with haunted house movies like it's easy to say just leave there's a ghost there but yeah. it's like your entire life savings is wrapped up there and i think that's kind of the the maybe like the older i get the more i think well what would i actually do like how far would i go and i i think i would probably survive like if that hunter was there and i could if like that was the end point i think i probably would make it because what else do you do you know mm -hmm. you just like at, at one point Trisha's, Trisha's like i'll i'll crawl if i have to and i think you know i think i might well, I know like Mike's a real man, so he would have he would have oh, sought yeah. out that bear and, and eaten the bear. No, I, first off, I, I, I mean, look, the, one of the, I would never be in this situation just because I, I'm really good in terms of remembering like where the breadcrumbs are for everything. Um, you know, in that way, look, I'm in the Eddie Casprack of this podcast. Like that, Eddie Casprack is great at that. In the, mm. in the got a compass in your goes, head. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I do. Like as a kid, that's even my parents used to always say that. Like. They'd say like, oh, we could drop Michael off in the middle of like Florida, which I'm sure they threatened they, they were going to do that multiple times because I was such a fucking bastard kid. But like um, and, and, and then they would always say like he'd find his way back. <laughs> and and, that, and that's the that's the thing that's with me is like I just I I just always have that sort of ability to just remember where everything was. Like, I don't know. I don't even have a, a, a photographic memory. It's just something in I don't know. It's just intuition. Having said that. Um, would die the minute um, I fell in my own shit, and I'd just be like, all the stomach stuff. I, 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 oh, I was joking God. about the fiddlehead thing. Like, I think I could survive for a while, but I will say this: that I mean, I think before we all got Mike, we were talking about the last time we all puked, and mine, I, I haven't puked since uh, 2016 when I got from from my knee. So I just mentioned I got this really yeah, bad Jerry stomach Seinfeld bug. over here. I know, it's yours. Yeah. problems. But I, I, she, I, I got this really bad stomach virus from her when she was a little kid, and I, I was just I puked like seven times in like 12 hours, and. Uh, my wife, Susan drove me to this like, um, uh, walk-in clinic and I took them, I went in there and they're like, you need to go to the ER. You're just, and I got back out and I was just throwing up again on the sidewalk. And I remember like going on my back in like freezing New Jersey winter and like literally saying like, just kill me, fucking kill me. And so I, I think like the stomach, <laughs> I think the puking that much and shitting that much, that's for me when I would just be like, even before slipping in the shit, I think I would just be like, I'm done for like stomach stuff. I think it just, yeah. Oh, like debilitates you so much. Like you can't do anything Ugh. with it. So I think it's that's where I would, I would probably give up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, and then slipping in shit. Just, yeah. That's disgusting. Slipping in shit is it, again. Cause it's you, like, you hate shit. Mike. I mean, we all hate shit, but Mike, we you, all like, you really don't like like farts and <laughs> yeah, shit and stuff, I, right? Well, yeah. I'm a, I'm a germaphobe like any uh, cashback, but like <laughs> if someone like, is, like I've seen people lose their limbs in person, like, and I've, I've literally seen like blood bullet holes, you know, like, like just walking around is, a, is throughout my life or whatever. And I've always run and tried to like help and blood and stuff like that doesn't phase me. And my joke is always like, but if someone shit their pants about to die, like I'd be like, all right, I'm out. Like I just, there's <laughs> mm -hmm. something about fecal. Like I just hate it. Like, you know, we walk dogs a lot here now and I still just like, oh God, like I like, mm -hmm. I, I, I have like a system for it now. It's not, ridiculous. Not to date this podcast, but 
a show called Yellow Jackets. Jen, I know you've seen it. Yes. There's that to me. There's a scene that happens in that movie involving a bone sticking out of somebody's leg. Ooh, Ooh yeah. That for me is my okay. We're done here. Like if yeah. if, if yeah. it happened to me in the woods, I would have been looking for a way to like bash my head in because I would not have been able to deal <laughs> oh with that, that happen, like sticking out and like having to be immobile. Bash uh, your head yeah. against a boulder. <laughs> Just, yeah. Oh God. Cry out for the wasp. Situation. The wasp god or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh shit! I was gonna say something and I forgot what it was. Was it um, something about shit and slipping in shit? Vomit <laughs> <laughs> shit. It actually was. Bones. It's it. I mean, because I think it's thematic. You know, like there is. It's been. I think the last time I actually threw up was when I was pregnant with my first child. Um, because I just tend to not puke too much. You know, knock on wood. Knock but on wood, it's yeah. like when it happens, it's like you your body can't do anything else. You know, mm-hmm. it's yes. like you have completely lost control of your functions. And there's these stories, not to get too gross, but there's stories about like sorority houses with like just shit on the floor because you start puking and then stuff oh, comes out God. the other side too. Oh, um, oh, I wouldn't yeah. know from personal experience and I don't want to cast any kind of aspersions <laughs> on sororities, but um, you know, it's, and so there's that moment of like when she is puking and when she is shitting, it's like the woods has won in that moment. Yes. And she, yeah. she does keep going after that. Um, her, her but, like the way I, I like feel so bad. This King does a great job of just like capturing what it feels like. Like psychological you're doing that because like uh-huh. in her head we see her just freaking out and be like oh god i can't believe this is i mean I, f- I felt so bad for her in that moment um even though she's not she's arguably not close to death there because she's not fighting a bear being stung by wasps or whatever but like i think that's where i where i felt like i just related to her the most psychologically because you're like oh yeah you that it just feels like the end of the world when you're going through that kind of thing well it's mm-hmm. the great combination of um nature not wanting you to survive because mm-hmm. even yeah. after she's going through the vomiting and the, how many times are we going to say vomiting and shitting and <laughs> vomiting episode? Shit, hey, of course yeah but yeah. hey well, listen when i've been in pound topic. cake either just I know. But <laughs> the fact that the fact that after that that bout of it she's still her body is telling her to get more water even if it's from the same mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. Yeah. and that water is still like no this is not for your kind you and know, i like that's, to yeah. so that's disturbing too and the water like tastes good to her too when she like when yeah. drink, she's drinking she's like oh my god this is the best thing yeah yeah i like what you said jen but the the woods yeah that's when the, the woods win or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the reasons why king gets away with so much of her resilience and being you know like little mini hopkins uh sometimes is because he really does kind of build her up as this pragmatic person i mean like even Mm -hmm. like the way that trisha contends with the divorce i mean she's really pragmatic about it like there's this Mm -hmm. great bit on page 166 at least in my uh edition um where the pop-up book it's the pop-up book yeah page 166 (laughs) could you imagine a 200 page pop-up book like i'd be like this is exhausting now like right yeah stop Um, popping yeah like they they basically she basically talks about how um you know the oh yeah yeah like I don't know why we have to pay. She keeps talking, thinking about the last line that she hears uh, her brother and her mother, um, mm-hmm. you know, say before they she's ultimately gone. Um, writes, I don't know why we have to pay for what you guys did wrong. That was the last thing she had heard Pete say, and now Trisha thought she knew the answer. It was a tough answer, but probably a true one. Just because, and if you didn't mm. like it, take a ticket and get in line. And that, and then she goes, Trisha guessed that in a lot of ways she was older than Pete now, and like. King does a really good job in that. I mean, like she's she's the peacemaker of the family. I mean, she's mm-hmm. the one that's like kind of sitting there and being like, you know, early on in the book, she's like, could fighting in your family make you go crazy? Like, she's very 
you know, the only way I can think of is pragmatic. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like when she's in these situations, like I buy it a little bit more than maybe, you know, I should if I think about an actual nine-year-old just wandering around in the forest. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of her pragmatism, um, just the fact that she, from the onset, is very aware of how much time she should spend listening to the Walkman because of the battery mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's just right there. It's like, okay, she's she's not just... Oh, I've got my Walkman. I'm going to listen through the radio. So yeah. She's very aware of that, too. That's also you also that- ding it again as like, would a nine-year-old do this? But if you're my nine-year-old would not. Such a way, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. My nine-year-old would oh. be like listening to fucking Smashing Pumpkins or something. On <laughs> hey, yeah. Smashing yeah. Pumpkins. Yeah, because this Melancholy album is too long. I'm not going to get yeah. Right. I, I do, I do. Save I do. me, Billy. I want to hear Bodies again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rewind it. Bodies. Track two, tape two. Yeah, but I... I um. <laughs> Right, is bodies the second track? It's when bo- where boys fear to tread. Anyway, that's uh, that's another too, podcast. But that's a, for a pumpkin spot. I, I do like I do like the Walkman I'll being a like a nice spot. narrative ticking sure. clock for the novel too, yeah. just of like how much time she has left and everything. So yeah, well yeah, she has also has a sense of good. You know, she has a good sense of humor, and she's also very imaginative. I and mean, they like, I mean, King literally states that she's an imaginative person, and it's telling that it's not until page one ninety nine when she finally breaks and has like a tantrum and at that yeah. point it's totally earned like I'm like mm-hmm. how did you sure. not do this I, I would have done it like finally like four hours in I'd be like you fucking idiot like why did you do this you why did you do this why, this isn't fair you know like I would have been like Richard does, Lewis goes, like, and days. the wrong yeah. guys uh, talk about a real deep cut reference re- yeah it's I was like, gonna it's say like the, the, this boy scout troop oh. reunites it's, it's Richard Lewis Richard Belzer Tim Thomerson and Louis Anderson and they reunite like 20 years later after they were Cub Scouts and they go camping in the woods and Richard Lewis is just complaining the entire time when he's setting up this tent. He's calling it like Hitler's cot and stuff like that. And oh, that would be I'm me sure. in the woods just constantly complaining about every moment. Like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe this is happening to me. That would be me mm-hmm. in the and woods. And it's not her, though. And that's it's not so her. crazy. Right. Yeah. 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 And like, I keep thinking about bookends with this um, because it is just such an isolated arc, you know, and I think it's really clear to see her transition because two of the places and again, I kept thinking of my daughter and that's why it was so heartbreaking a lot of times when she'll say things like, I think I'm going to die today. And she just says it, you know, but the moment that she actually admits that she's lost is on page 33. She was suddenly drowning in isolation, choking on a bright and yet oppressive sense of herself as a living being cast out from her fellows she had somehow gotten out of bounds wandered off the playing field and into a place where the rules she was used to no longer applied and then a little bit later now the tears began to come this is when she's finally said i'm lost it's like the words themselves like she didn't want to say them Um, now the tears began to come and she could no longer hold them back can no longer kid herself that she was in charge of this situation her voice trembled became first the wavery voice of a kid and then almost the shriek of a baby who lies forgotten in her pram and that sound frightened her more than anything else so far on this awful morning the only human sound in the woods her weepy shrieking voice calling for help calling for help because she was lost Mm. and then on page 239 um this this is the one that really broke my heart um she says slowly gingerly like someone walking on a freshly rinsed tile floor trisha got moving again this is probably it she thought Today's probably my last chance. Maybe even this morning's my last chance. I may be too weak and too sick to walk by this afternoon. And if I can get out on my feet after another night out here, it'll be a blue eyed miracle. And just like the cold, like understanding of that, like I, uh, for a nine year old to say, I'm probably going to die today if nobody saves me. It's just Mm. so it broke my heart, you know. It's, I can't imagine it. I know yeah. you were saying earlier, Jim, but I, you know, if, if you're a parent, you're, 
of course you're going to have a different reaction to this, especially if you've yeah. got a child this age as, mm-hmm. as the protagonist. So I can't even imagine uh, being a parent and reading this. It's going to be a totally different experience. Yeah. For better We're or not going to be hiking with her on this vacation. <laughs> you're staying home. Exactly. Or, or, no, yeah, you know, yeah. She can go, but she's going to be standing in front of you as yeah. you guys are walking through the booth. Well, it's funny. Like the last time I was in Gatlinburg is when she was like one and I went on a hike and she was in this, like the carrier with me, which was real hot. And that was fun for like 20 minutes. And, but then we were like past a point of no return. And I remember walking across the stream and thinking like, oh shit, I'm going to fall in the river and I've got this baby attached to me. And it's just, it it does. And I, again, I hate to be that person. Like, well, when you're a parent, everything's different, but it is. It is different. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, is different it is different, you know. Just it is. just it hits in a different way, you know. Yeah. And you know, I don't want to say like there's a level of this book that non-parents can't understand. I don't want to sound like superior, but you know, I just I could not read this without seeing my daughter in the situation. Um, well, is there anything else we want to say about Trisha? And I've got a couple of more things for word processor, but anything about her in I, general? So I had a question. Like, I guess we could talk about the Walkman <laughs> as, oh, a, yeah. as a character. Because like, mm-hmm. I felt like oh, yeah. the Walkman's like Wilson and Castaway here. Like, even, oh, down, yeah. even down to the way that, you know, when she finally loses it at the end, you know, when the batteries die, I almost kind of felt like it was like the scene where like Tom Hanks is like floating and like Wilson's like, he's like, Wilson! Well, like I just yeah. felt like she was going to like, you know, Walkman! Um, did anyone else <laughs> feel that? Or was I kind of just, maybe I just have Castaway on my mind for I, some reason. I you know, know I, I didn't. Like, I remember seeing Castaway in the theater and being really sad when Wilson went away. And the Walkman, I didn't have any kind of real emotional attachment to it. Um, maybe it's because Wilson has a face. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. And I guess he's with Wilson for years, too, right? But I, yeah. did you, did, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like the sadness. I felt in more of the Wilson role, it would, for me, it was kind of the imaginary Tom Gordon, I guess. Mm. So mm-hmm. who never, who never actually goes away, as it turns out. Well, not yeah. really goes away. So, but I like, I, I see where you're coming from, Mike, with the, the non-living, you know, object well, that that she is some type of relationship with. Well, know? there was an original mm-hmm. chapter that King cut, I guess, where she like cut her hand and then just like you know it created oh, yeah. a face on the the Walkman, and she mm-hmm. just kept talking to it. You know, like oh well, uh, this is gonna be a crazy hike. We gotta you know what? Just just talking about the Walkman there, I wonder how many people listening never had a Walkman. It's very possible mm-hmm. nobody did. Mm-hmm. I had could been under CDs. Yeah, yeah I had one too. You had I, one? Had, I, I had cracked one too, your yeah. view on, on cassette. That was the, yeah. my first uh, tape, I think. My one yeah. of my first well, my first Walkman, I think I had, not to sound like Mr. Uber. Oh, I was always cool. But I had um, Bleach by Nirvana and wow. Nevermind by Nirvana. I remember having a Walkman and listening to those. I had tapes before that, but we listened to it on like the bigger boombox. Mm-hmm. But I remember going to, you know, fifth or sixth grade and listening to and like flipping the tape for side mm-hmm. B. Mm-hmm. Um, because I am, and Jenna can attest to it, we are of the uh, the geriatric millennials. We yeah, are, right? yes. We are, we are at the, the, we're at the cutting point, right? We're at the, are we at the cutoff? We are, yeah. We are We are the most superior of the millennials. You're, you're, you guys are 1980. Right? That's, the, that's the oldest yeah. it would be. For, yeah. Yeah. We're with it, but barely. That's what we have. Rob and I are 84, uh, right? So <laughs> 84. We're still, pretty old. we're pretty old for millennials. We're still story. pretty old. Yeah. I mean, look, I got my Walkman when in my first cassette was Back to the Future, and that was before Back to the Future 3 or 2 even. And you couldn't out. even walk yet. You were only a year old. I know. I was just <laughs> couldn't even more walk. like a crawl man. You uh, couldn't walk, man. <laughs> yeah. No, to be fair, I could walk, and I, I acted like such a loser because I thought I was Marty McFly. So I'd like walk, I'd skateboard in my neighborhood with like the, the soundtrack playing on my Walkman like an idiot. And, and, like, you could have stopped like, you were skating in your neighborhood. Yeah, that's true. That's, that is true. <laughs> that's what makes me a geriatric yeah the the bear for you are a bunch of skaters oh my god that would have that i wouldn't have survived 
Yeah. I used to ride my bike, listen to Mariah Carey, but I taped like I would tape the radio station Y107 here in Nashville. And I remember I would tape the commercials, too. Like I wouldn't Mm -hmm. stop it in between because I was like, I want to feel like I'm listening to the radio, you know. And now I think back and I was like, because I did end up fast forwarding. I was like, I don't want to hear this fucking. Wasn't that the worst though? Like, isn't it weird that people have nostalgia for that medium? When I'm like, no, it really sucked when you wanted to hear the song again and you had to wait like 45 seconds. Uh huh. It's not not fun. Like, yeah, yeah, you know. Well, then there's my little magical thinking. I was like, well, if I hear the song, it's a sign that so and so is, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, yeah. And there's a lot of that going on in this book too with. If X happens, then I'll be fine. So Yeah, yeah, which maybe can move us into Tom Gordon, says ah. Justin. Um, because I do love the idea of getting the save, you know, and like it all really coming down to one thing. And I mean, I think the, the obviously winning a baseball game is less stakes than dying, but I, I uh, think... What's the game? <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. You got to win your last game. Um, but it is, it's it's a really sweet moment at the end and it always makes me cry when she just like points up, you know, because there's just so much in that motion. It's like I I faced everything down and I'm still here, you know. I love the uh, the description. I think it's one of the first times it says, uh, it's from her point of view, obviously. He stood there in the moonlight as clear as the cuts on her arms, as real as a nausea in her throat and belly, all those nasty butterflutters. He was stillness waiting for the sign, not perfect stillness. There was that hand behind his back, turning the ball and turning the ball, searching for the best grip, but all stillness where you could see. Yeah, baby, stillness waiting for the sign. Mm. Trisha wondered if she could do that. Just let the shakes run off her like water off a duck's back and be still and conceal the churning inside her. Uh, Yeah, when I first read this, when I first heard about it, first, I actually did think it was a nonfiction book. And that was just about maybe his daughter like Tom Gordon. I really just denied. I had no clue. And then when I read it for the first time, I thought this was going to be a two-hander. Kind of going back to, if I can get even more deep cut-ish, uh, Tom Holland's script for Cloak and Dagger with Henry Thomas and Dabney Coleman, where Jesus. he's talking to his imaginary uh, hero the entire time. This book is not that at all. Mm-mm. Tom Gordon appears here and there, but long passages before you see him. And when he does show up, it's not for very long. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that was another nice little twist on my expectations when it came to the the character of Tom Gordon in the book. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of the way that Tom Gordon's employed here kind of reminds me of Johnny got his gun and the way that Jesus Christ comes in, in that book. Mm. Um, I have not read the book, but I love the video one by Metallica. Yeah. It's a, it, well, first off that, that, that story, you want to talk about depressing, um, <laughs> you know, go, go, go flip through that one during the holidays and mm. see how, how glum you are and <laughs> family functions. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that, that I, that, that just that it's almost like a poster, you know, like the, the cliche of like writers with the, like the cat poster, like hanging in there. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's mm-hmm. what Tom Gordon is like for her. It's just like, can see, and it's like, come on, you know, keep going. Like yeah. you can do this. But. Well, and I have one of the flagged uh, passages I have, which kind of ties in, even though it is really about Trisha, is at the very end in her showdown with the bear. And it's on page 248, and it mentions that stillness again, um, which I think is really just coming to peace with what she can and can't control. Um, So it's on page 248, run, it said, as it came towards her, and this is her confrontation with the bear. Um, It's a big hindquarter swaying from side to side. It was weirdly graceful, leaving clawed prints behind and a scatter of droppings on the surface of the packed earth. Run, it's your last chance, except it was stillness that was her last chance. Stillness and maybe a good hard curveball. 
Trisha put her hands together, coming to the set. The Walkman no longer felt like a Walkman. It felt like a baseball. There were no Fenway faithful here, rising to their feet in the Boston Church of Baseball. No rhythmic clapping, no umpires, and no Bat Boy. There was only her and the green stillness and the hot morning sunshine and a thing that looked like a bear on the outside and was full of wasps on the inside. Only stillness, and now she understood how someone like Tom Gordon must feel, standing in the set position in the silence of the cyclone's core, where all pressure falls to zero and all sounds are shut out, and it all comes down to this, fasten your seatbelts. She stood Mm. in the set position and let the stillness spin out around her. Yes, it came from the shoulders. Let it eat her. Let it beat her. It could do both, but she would not beat herself, and I won't run. And I just love that. I think that is such a really beautiful way of taking this this pitcher metaphor and bringing it into something that makes sense for like a nine-year-old girl facing down a bear you know yeah and it reminds me of the moment in it when bev has the slingshot you know and Mm. she talks about like the world just like really becoming very small and all you can see is the one thing that you really need to do and just like taking that moment and finding the stillness in it which i think is is something i really wish i could do more in my days you know it's like no this is not the world isn't ending right now you know yeah even though the world might be ending for trisha it's like there is you can find stillness sometimes if you know again that's what that uh concept of god you know you just gotta yeah kind of keep keeping on that one thing as curly mm-hmm. said you know i like that i like that you brought up city slickers which i guess in a sense <laughs> is a survival horror story in a way um, i mean uh, tough crowd you know, yeah, t- <laughs> yeah do we i mean in terms of the rest of the characters like do we think i mean like probably could kind of speed around with some of them though because i feel like yeah. it really is just mostly just trisha for the most yeah. part mm-hmm. i mean like when even tom gordon's part of her pretty much right and yeah. like right. and like and that had more to do with like the religiosity of it all too so which we kind of talked about in the hook yeah. right so, I, I yeah mean, I'd, I'd like to talk about pete definitely because he's an interesting mm-hmm. i know we don't see a lot of him but i love i i it's a good king trick to introduce him as this kind of terrorizing mean older brother but i feel like pretty right away king also garners a lot of sympathy for him because we learn yeah. how how he's bullied at school and how this divorce is probably really taking its toll on him i just he just felt like a very real lived in older mm-hmm. brother that i'd met before like the kind of guy who maybe you go to your friend's house and their older brother picks on you but then you realize a couple of years later like oh that guy's kind of a loser and a very sad person too you know i, I don't mm-hmm. know they, there was something very ende- very realistic and kind of endearing to me about about peaks i feel like i know that guy well again yeah. this could have easily been it starts off with them in the woods and here's mom and brother. Mm-hmm. But no, they're actual fleshed out characters enough to give mm-hmm. you a sense of who she is and, and her relationship with them too. Yeah, because yeah. I felt the same way with Cola. Like I, I, I know mothers like that. I mean, I, I grew up in the land of single mothers, uh, including mm-hmm. my own. And I don't know why that there's just sounded like like the island of misfit like some magical right. world. Yeah. 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 Or like that oh, movie with uh, Welcome Adam, to the Land of Single Mothers. The land of single mothers where everyone's uh drinking long on iced teas and uh and talking about celine dion um but uh at no, least that sounds like a pretty mom. cool cool life to me actually it was a pretty know. cool life actually yeah no but th- this very real and just her i felt really bad for her when she's just trying to find things for them to do and they mm. just mm. and like you know pete is being such a little shit about it and i understand why pete's being a shit about it too like you're saying caffrey but i also understand the frustration that cool is going through where it's just like just give me a fucking break like mm-hmm. this situation sucks. I'm just trying to do something fun with you kids. Like, why can't you do that? And like, I don't know. There's so many times I look back with just my mom, and in the moment, you know, and the divorce was definitely wasn't easy on either of them. And I always just kind of took it more pragmatically, like Trisha, where I was like, like, well, they suck together, so why the hell they should be apart? Um, but mm-hmm. I understood 
how hard it is to raise two kids when you're alone. And, you know, King didn't go through divorce, clearly. So I was kind of astounded at how well he was able to capture it here with Quilla, like in the little bit that we get. Well, his mom, Mm -hmm. because I guess his parents weren't, were his parents technically divorced or did his dad just like leave? I think- I'm not sure if his parents were ever married. Yeah, I don't know. Because his his dad, wasn't his dad like the literal, like, oh, I'm going to step out for for cigarettes thing. He just never came back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, he at least is so. So he, although he doesn't have insight into the actual logistics and the process of divorce, he does know single mothers well, I guess. Right? That is so maybe, true. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the little bits we get with Quilla, and the moment that stuck out to me is like the waking up in the middle of the night and think like having this kind of connection with her daughter, which I think is kind of a a, a cliche thing that happens in a lot of movies and stories, but I think it's handled really well here. Um, and the the section that I really liked with Pete was when he has this dream and he's mm. thinking about the moment where he turns back and um, he it just gets stuck in his head. This moment where he turns back and he sees that she's not there. Mm. And that to me just is like the essence of kind of trauma, you know, and like this is the moment where I realized that I had forgotten, you know, and this is a moment that is going to follow me maybe because at that point he doesn't know what's going to happen. And so it's going to moment that will follow him for the rest of his life if she's not found. And I just I really liked the description of that. Um, I think the only other character, and it's not technically a character, but I wanted to talk about kind of the woods themselves as kind of like, it feels like the ocean in a way Mm -hmm. to me, you know, and it's partly because I've just watched The Deep House, which is really, really spooky. (laughs) It scared the shit out of me. Like that is my kryptonite. But it's like this, this environment where she is not supposed to be like, like what we were saying about the water, like this is not for a human's consumption in the way Mm. that our bodies have adapted now. And I think that's such a clear distinction. Like when she finds something that is made by men or something that comes from the world of electricity. And it's, it's just, it shows you how deeply immersed she's been in this totally natural world where she's having to just feel her way around where she doesn't belong. So I thought it was just, but there's still moments of beauty, which is foreshadowing for my word processor stuff. But well, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a playground for King, you know, or it's mm-hmm. a playground for anyone who does a survival horror story or a survival story, because it's like, this is where you get to kind of ramp it up or then you kind of, you know, get to escalate it or you kind of get to kind of have some wins here for her. Um, so as a writer, I, I just see like these type of sandboxes as just perfect you know like they're, mm-hmm. they're, anything can happen in this because it's the woods and like the thing i love about king's descriptions of it is that you definitely get a sense that like yeah he knows his backyard like they're mm-hmm. down to the oh, plants yeah. down to even just like when he goes and i mean one of my well has been the word processor but like this the the, the section where she finds herself like within the posts that this like w- like mm-hmm. worn down area um I just imagine King has probably stumbled upon stuff like that, even though that takes place technically in New Hampshire. But um, I just that that sense of awareness of like his own world really comes through here where it could have been so easy to be so farcical about it. But I really did feel like there was like a sense of place and a sense of history that Mm -hmm. he's getting on, Um, Mm -hmm. even, even down to like the, you know, the plants and. And, and what have you so yeah you know. and he even mentions in the afterward he's like if trisha were from this part of the wood she would have known many more plants mm-hmm. and roots to eat you know and i like that he made that distinction too he's like this is the superficial things that someone like trisha would eat so yeah, yeah kind, of a, very kind of a smart ass uh the narrator in a little bit you know it's like <laughs> uh, well, you know you try and do this <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. yeah the, hey, what's the, your problem? It was the beach nuts, right? Because he, he's like, oh, she could, like she could have had more than the beach nuts had she not been that stupid mm. town girl or whatever he said. So. <laughs> right. She could have turned right there and there was a lake yeah. right there. She was yeah. used to concrete and cement, you know. Uh, <laughs> God. Well, let's move into, we just talked about a couple of things we did like. Let's um, kind of briefly talk about the stuff we don't like so much in our section called Misery. She she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away? Slipped away? She didn't just slip away. You did it. 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 You murdered my misery. Penny. And I actually don't have a ton of um, things I, here. I, yeah. You go I first, Justin. I have one thing. You, you go first. Okay. This is an issue I also have with the ending of, well, I have many more issues, obviously, with the secret window mm-hmm. um, short story, the novella. But the ending when the, the man discovers Trisha during her standoff. Yep, that's exactly what you go for. That yeah, that's too? my yeah, thing, too. Uh, yeah. there, there, have been a few, there have been a few seconds in that frozen time when the girl and the bear had been regarding each other that he hadn't been sure, not entirely sure, that it was a bear. I know. But uh, that he never told anyone. Folks knew he drank. They would think he was crazy. Don't. Just, it's a bear. I, I don't know. like the fact that maybe it's a wasp. I just keep it totally... We, we, we've lived through her imagination, the imaginations of a nine-year-old and where your imagination can take you. And now let's just have her deal with the reality of fighting off against nature like that's i don't need this little maybe it's a little supernatural i did <laughs> that, not like that that's I did not like king it. that king implicated you know implying like he's afraid like he's afraid to just make it what it is honestly yeah. my my issue came from just having had not really loving that this dude, random dude saved her and and i, yeah, I yeah. and i understand why because the whole the i know it really ties into the trisha you know corresponding with the baseball game and knowing, okay, look, if I can get through this, I know something good will happen to me. Right. I understand all that. I think for me, it's just, I feel like we gear up for this bear fight and I know realistically there's no way she could kill a bear. Right. And that'd be silly if she did, but I feel like I'm even reading it the second time I'm, I'm like, Oh man, she's going to have to run or make it to the highway or figure out something. Right. And then just the fact that this dude that fires the gun and scares the bear off, it just feels like a little anticlimactic to me. It doesn't ruin the book. I, you know, I still think the very, very ending in the hospital room lands. I just, um, it just, like it feels like it pales in comparison to the shit incidents, which or incident, yes. which was so much earlier in the novel. So I just have it. I just have kind. Of, it squares thematically, I guess. The guy showing up, like it makes sense within what the novel's trying to say and what it's trying to do with her quest. It just doesn't really square with me from a narrative satisfaction standpoint, if that makes sense. Yeah, it feels serendipitous too, because and there are a couple moments in this book where I'm like, you, you could have just couched this and made it like less serendipitous. Like you know, early on, like the minute she turns on the the Walkman, there just ha- the newscast about her happens to just happen. Whereas like, well, she was listening to the baseball game the whole time. Like, couldn't have you just weaved it in where they just kind of did yeah. a you know a broken thing? But it's that that sort of serendipitous moment at the end with the hunter seems so pointless to me because it's like, well, you're already at the edge of civilization, so like, why do you need to have someone? catch you like and honestly with the bear be a little bear like you know yeah maybe have it be just the literal bear but also allow the bear thematically be this concept of death and how like she was staving off death this whole time and the fact that she did get to stave off death this bear and managed to get to civilization that's the win like you don't need to have the hunter you don't need to have yeah. the this like wasp thing like you could have the wasp thing be as her own sort of 
mind's sense of like her relationship to her own death and stuff. But yeah, I, I feel like that little section right before the hospital. It's just a few pages too. On. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, just, it's like you get a little too crazy there. I yeah. would even be fine. Honestly, I would be fine. If she sees the bear, she runs, she makes it across the highway, maybe get almost gets hit by a car. Maybe she looks back, sees the bear for a moment, almost like acknowledges her, acknowledges or something and leaves. Or just, like, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Like, with no one else interacting with the bear or whatever else. But yeah, it's just something about the, and the guy, yeah, it's the guy is like a typical goofy King slacker, you know, too, with, yeah. uh, which is like sometimes funny, but here just it takes away from it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I hear what all of you are saying and I, on some level of my own personal tower agree with you, but this is another like time when to me, like another connection between this and Gerald's game, because I think, that logically, yes, I agree. But what I get from her pitching is enough for me that I don't care about anything else for the rest D- doing of the book. The which pitch is ha- with it. Yeah, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's what oh. I need. I, and that's have- kind of how I feel like it, Gerald's game. Like I, I get all the criticism. I get it. But I fucking love it. I All I need is that moment with her in the courtroom. And if I lost it, then it would take something away from me. So I, I don't mind that section. But I hear the criticism. No, I don't mind the... The act of the gun, and then I love the pitch. No, I, I think actually mm. what actually scares ultimately scares the bear off is the the, 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 the pitch to the head. I think yeah. it is mm-hmm. the Walkman. Yeah. I don't think he's necessarily yeah. scared away by the the shot even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what, what my my criticism is the vague. Oh, is it actually yeah. not a bear? Like I, that's mm-hmm. why I don't like. I actually like the climax a lot. Yeah. yeah. I'm still. I'm fine well, with it. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I think what I'm saying is that is enough for me not to question anything yeah. else. I'm like, yeah, I got you. You're fine. It <laughs> I also it am not it. one that tends to question the ends of things. I'm like, well, that's what it is, you know. Yeah, know. I mean, it's it's just classic King. I mean, he just loves <laughs> it to, is. He it just is. loves <laughs> to have his own. Because I mean, look, I mean, I have some room two thirty seven about like what that actual thing at the end is, especially given the stuff that the little pieces he gives to us. But we'll mm-hmm. save it for yeah. that. So then there's a couple other things. I, I felt like he didn't have to go there with a, with you know on page one fifty seven. Uh, you know, he, he mentions like it's, you know, but not her panties they would find with the crime scene. It's just like, well, this is, this seems pointless as, as, as a thing, especially yeah. if it's a red herring. Um, and then also like the, the little black Sambo like reference theme just seems so like, I didn't really need to, I mean, I guess it doesn't age great, but like, it just felt very like, like we, we, we get, we <laughs> no, get the image of it. Of, like it just doesn't, it just seems like you kind of overdid it a little bit for me, but that was yep, it. That was on my list. And I, if, and I kind of was internally struggling whether to mention it or not, because I think if he had just mentioned it once, I would mm-hmm. have let it go, but mm-hmm. he does keep coming back to it. And he also, um, so in my day job, I do a lot of like um, research about like the origin of folk history. And a lot of the American folk songs have a history in blackface minstrelsy. And a little black sambo is um, a piece of that. And for a more like detailed description of that, I would highly recommend the uh, You Must Remember This series on Song of the South. It's really, really good. A lot more detail than I will be able to give. But he also does something similar with Buffalo Gals in the coda to um, the the stand miniseries. So it is something that's keeping that's continuing to come back. And I think we just need to like we have to be more aware of where the origins of things like that come from. If we are content creators and, you know, I just, if, if King, if you're listening, I'm being fantastic, <laughs> but do, do a little, yeah, no, I I'm lost <laughs> in the weeds of trying to, cause he's referring to the Kipling story. Yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. specifically called little black Sambo. I think 
Yeah. But I, yeah. I don't think he would have written that. No, no, exactly. Like, I don't think he would either. Yeah. yeah. I but I also don't want somebody who's not aware of that history to get that reference and continue to use it. To oh, God. Yeah. I have, my favorite part was with the little black Sambo illusion. I, ha- I have um, <laughs> a collection of, of the Just So stories, the, you know, the Kipling oh, yeah. one from when I was little that I loved reading. I still do. I mean, I, I like a lot of those stories. Mm-hmm. But that one specifically, I mean, he, and this isn't a kid. Like the the collection I have is geared towards kids. The Kipling version, he says the N word like just, and it's not censored or anything. When I was little, I just never noticed, I guess. But like I reread it a few years ago, I was like, whoa! Uh, and it says like I think it says on the front like, oh, just so stories for seven year olds or something. And I'm just like, ooh, yeah, Kip- yep. Kipling, you you went too far. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the, the good yeah. old days. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, I do think it's worth saying like that was a different time. And I don't think if Kipling were alive today, who knows what he would be writing. But, you know, th- that's how we keep moving the conversation forward. And I do think it is worth mentioning. So. Yeah. 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 Um, well, do we have any other misery? I've got some minor miseries. Okay. Hashtag minor misery. <laughs> nice. um, this isn't so much misery, but it's just, I, I totally get the bands that King's referring to. Uh, Boys <laughs> to Da Max. Oh, uh, yeah. Wait, say it again. Abound. What was it? Boys Boys to Da Max. Oh. Is it two, like the number two? It's not the number two, to be fair. Oh, it's, it's come T-O. on. It's T.O. <laughs> Uh, I guess it's a combination of like color me bad with the extra yeah. letters and voice to men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but the lyrics, put your arms around me because I got to get next to you, were absolutely lyrics from somebody around that time. Mm-hmm. Just, it, was a, it was a tough time. I have music. a tape single of color me bad. I can't I remember hate, the song. Uh, but, I adore me more. That's uh, it. Second yep. single. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think and played, here's something uh, else as a sports fan. Um, the fact that I discovered later on that the, the Red Sox hat that Trisha's wearing was signed by Tom Gordon. There's no way in hell I would ever wear out something that was. Signed. I agree. That, that was oh, my. The woods. Yeah, that yeah. is a gripe. That's no yeah. way. No. No, no way. way. I, I I still have in my closet. A, a, I used to wear this Charles Barkley jersey when I was a kid all the time, and he actually signed it when I was in eighth grade. It's been in a plastic bag ever since. I never wore it out again. Mm-hmm. Never, Did you meet ever. him? Oh yeah, it's a couple times. Very nice. Long, long story, but yeah, very nice guy. I'm just nice. imagining you like a little Justin getting lost. In the, it's, it's the the boy who loved Charles Barkley, and you just see no, him. Barkley would have been like <laughs> Barkley would have been like I'm not a role model. You I know. Think, about like, a, like, he, think he, about like somebody who's like a frontiersman or something. He's just insulting you the whole time. He's like, oh, you shit your pants, you little boy. Or you little fucking baby, you shit your pants. <laughs> he's got his big suit. Through a window. He's got his like oversized suit on, just like berating you in the woods. Does she get? <laughs> does she get a new signature though? Like, do you think that that's the, that goes back to us saying the Jen Jen the nightmare epilogue would have been her meeting yeah. Tom Gordon and saying, "Hey, I heard you lost your hat. I heard your like, heard your hat got a little messy. Oh, I see. Another one for you. <laughs> see, and this here's, is uh, and here's smudged a little. Tickets. You know, it's like oh, everybody just keeps going clapping more and more. And you think that's good? Season tickets for life. Oh my god, this is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah this that's is like the, adapt- that's the nightmare ending. That's the this nightmare. is da- adapted by like Buena Vista Entertainment in like two thousand. Like oh the ending is like her like in the stands, like 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 with her parents and stuff. Like the parents got back together. No, I was and- I was gonna say and, like the parents show like their ring fingers. Oh, I was I was I was gonna say like he's he's like now I'll give you these season tickets on one condition. He looks at mom, dad, oh, you need to kiss my. and make up. And then, no, then and it cuts then, up at the game. Yeah, yeah. And it cuts to the very end, like it's like a big shot of the stadium and then yeah. like the wasp god swings by like waves, <laughs> waves. <laughs> it's like you see him you see them all in the jumbotron together oh it's us <laughs> yeah. we uh, met to the game anyway yeah, sorry i digress ridiculous. Again, but there you go uh 
Yeah, well, the, the the pop culture references are all over the. Like, I mean, he has like Tub Thumper. Um, mm-hmm. He's the, he, we always, I usually the, wait, now. Is is this the case where the album is called Tub Thumper and the song is Tub Thumping? I, I, that, oh no, it's Tub Thumping. Yeah, but did, mm. does he say Tub Thumper? Well, so he says or, Tub Thumper, but it's italicized, so it might be one of those things where like the album. You know, what I'm saying like the album's called Tub. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me look this up real quick because uh, yeah, I'm looking it up. <laughs> Don't but worry, buddy. Uh, the album's called. Hey, Dan. The album's called Tub Thumper. The All song right. is called Tub Thumping. So King was right. Oh. He actually got that right then. That's good. Yeah. Good job, King. Yeah. And and then, you know, there's like Umbop. There's like three references to Titanic. I mean, these are all King just like kind of taking in the pop culture. The one mm-hmm. thing that I, I do really love about his writing sometimes when he gets into pop culture is that he's able to kind of wield in his own sort of point of view and criticisms and opinions. And he certainly does that with baseball on this. Like we we usually have a section or we start, Brandon and I started kicking around like adding this to the King's Dominion, just being a king being king. And I think we did it on Billy Summers. But mm-hmm. um, just the idea of that, like you could tell it's just King's opinion in here. And like when he talks about like the handsome but evil shortstop Derek Jeter, you just know yeah. that it's like him as a Red Sox fan, <laughs> like that, no. um, or like Satan Joe Castiglione, like talking about Daryl Strawberry and everything. Like those are all kings. Just like that's his probably internal thinking when he's like listening to baseball, you know, radio announcers and stuff like that. Well, but with I the pop it. culture, Jen, I think you mentioned it back at the beginning, but you you mentioned that the games that King is that the Trish is listening to didn't actually happen, right? I think you mentioned that. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they fudge with the history a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting though. It's a different where and when. Obviously, if we want to go really kingy with it. <laughs> But the fact that Boys to the Max exists in the same universe as, you know, Chumbawamba um, and Titanic exists in the same universe as these fake Red Sox games is uh, mm-hmm. pretty interesting to me. That's a Berenstein, Berenstein thing. I think Fleer needs to incorporate this into his, his Dark Tower. Dark Tower yeah. detour. Side well, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, just rereading Wizard and Glass right now, you know, I, he... It, it, get, it does get so confusing with all these different parallel universes because they encounter the events from the stand, but it's a stand that's different than the one in the mm-hmm. book, right? Because it's, it's a stand where like, and because to Pete, what is it like one of the Kansas City baseball teams is like, is it's not the Royals, it's something else. It's not. On one hand, it's kind of cool. On the other hand, you're like, oh man, you're just, just, just like giving your, you're just giving yourself carte blanche to like do whatever the hell you want. Like with, with all, all mm-hmm. these well, like Prometheus where it's I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. That's the perfect comp for this is that, yeah, it's like, why overcomplicate this? Why don't you just make it that? Yeah. Um, that's all I got, Jen. That's all I got. Yeah. Nothing, nothing really right. miserable for me with this one. Yeah, the only thing, what pop culture reference that stood out to me, and I kind of have a love hate relationship with it, is the V. That's so VC Andrews. <laughs> it was like, mm. and then it sent me down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out when I first read Flowers in the Attic and if I was nine or if I was 10. So it kind of like, I didn't really. I know that we it, were but... probably too young. Oh, definitely too young. I think <laughs> yeah. most people are too young to read VC Andrews. I read the first you know? three or four, actually. I was very <laughs> much, what? <laughs> uh-huh but you can't age, stop like, oh yeah yeah this is really it's disturbing like, uh-huh. i remember seeing that as a kid and they have a shot in the movie um with wonderful trumper uh trissy swanson that stars we wish her the best but, in um, full recovery mm. full recovery but uh there's a shot that i remember has stuck with me even now it's like it's like an afternoon sunset and you see like three graves prepared for the kids and i remember as a kid being like what the fuck like that's really disturbing mm. like it's it's like an image that has always stuck with me movie's mm-hmm. okay though also great. a whole lot of incest in those books yeah great movie. oh yeah it's, it's hinted at in the movie but in the books it's are like just... a brother and sister who fuck each other in the attic right is that what it's yeah. about yeah 
Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> it's a little... As one yeah, does. Well, it's a little more than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little more complex and nuanced. Uh, Dan, than that. Um, it's several generations of that yes, in please. essence. Yes. It's show it's, respect <laughs> to the, the disturbing incestuous family. Please. I just remember right. her books were always in public. So I never knew what they were about, but it was always like the front <laughs> was like a mirror and then you would open yep, it. Yep. And then there was some yep. it was it was some like what do they call what do they call that? King has that on a couple of books too. Like like the like the Lissy story thing. Oh, you, or you, you take the hardcover back, and it's yeah. Like, with hers, it was always route. like a mirror, though, and you open it, and you, know, you see brothers and sisters fucking each fucking other, fucking or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Always good to read that while you're waiting for your like public sub to be made. Hey man, exactly. you see like you see like a, a person looking out a window, and you open it up, and it's just some it's some woman or some kid actually taking a dump and having vomiting in the woods. <laughs> oh yeah. God, like your laptop Gordon. It's a little scary for me, but you know. okay, sorry. Anyway, right. <laughs> well, speaking of VC Andrews, let's move into a section we call word processor of the gods and we're gonna make a new rule whenever i'm in here you hear me typing whether you don't hear me typing what the fuck you hear me doing in here when i'm in here that means that i am working that means don't come in now do you think you can handle that yeah fine why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here um, and this is where we share the sections that we do like um, mm. and the things we do love about this. And where, you know, where I drank my bottle of Surge a while ago. So maybe let's share a couple um, kind of. Um, does anyone have anything they would like to share? I'll just say that you mentioned this one earlier, Jen. It's the, the open to the book. The world had teeth and it could bite you with them anytime I wanted. Mm-hmm. I thought that's a, honestly a great life lesson. It is, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've got a couple more, but we can go around, obviously. Mike, you want to share one? Uh, I mean, the opener is just amazing. I mean, I think Mm. we talked about that too. Yeah, it's like the slingshot opener um, that we just literally just mentioned. Uh, I think when you get into, I don't know, like there there was, um, I mean, the ending is fucking great. Mm -hmm. I I think uh, the, oh, on page 201, I already hinted at it before, but I think it's worth reading because it's just really well done. So thinking. Trisha turned fully north, walking along the east side of the marsh that sprawled across most of the valley's floor. She had done a great many things right since becoming lost, more than ever, she would have guessed. But this was a bad decision, the worst she'd made since leaving the path in the first place. Had she crossed the marsh and climbed the ridge, she would have found herself looking down at Devlin Pond on the outskirts of Greenmount, New Hampshire. Devlin was small, but there were cottages on its south end and a camp road leading out to New Hampshire Route 52. On a Saturday or Sunday, Trisha would almost certainly have heard the burr of power boats in the pond as weekenders towed kids on water skis. After the 4th of July, there would have been power boats out there any day of the week, sometimes so many that they would have to weave to avoid each other. But this was a midweek in early June. There was no one out in Devlin, but a couple of fishermen with little 20-horse putt-putts, and Trisha consequently heard nothing but the birds and the frogs and the bugs. Instead of finding the pond, she turned north toward the Canadian border and began walking deeper into the woods. Some 400 miles ahead was Montreal. Between it and her, not much. Like that is, that's like King at his best when he's just doing that sort of, that flex of just like, she's fucked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, and I love that. Like, I I mean, I said before, but I literally put the book down and I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. like that's so good. It's just great writing, I feel. But Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
I uh, it, and sorry, my fucking dog is munching on a bone in the background. It's, I'm trying to get him to stop. So if it, <laughs> imagine it's a bear crunching deer bones, uh, and uh, it'll yes, yes. be more evocative. Um, so but speaking of the bear, this is on page 206. So toward the very end of the uh, the hardcover first edition. Um, I won't read the bear description because we went into that with the maggots and all that stuff, which is great. I actually really love the voice of the bear, which we only get a couple sentences from it. But it's this is after she sees it and and sees all the the insexual life in its face. It says. I killed the deer. I watched you and drew my circle around you. Run from me. Worship me with your feet, and I may let you live. I love that because sometimes I think when King does die, I mean, that's not dialogue, dialogue. It's more like the bear's thoughts out loud. But sometimes when King does um, direct address from the point of view of the villain toward the hero, it can go on a little long and get a little silly, like Pennywise mm-hmm. does. I mean, we always yeah. we always joke about like the you know, the was like Richie's dead rock and roll circus that where he just you know keeps going and going but i love that because it just it goes back to this thing of yeah i've been watching you i love that i like drew the, the circle around you there's some there's something so simple mm-hmm. and ominous about that i feel like when we come to wordpress to serve the gods i i tend to really favor king's stripped down sentences like that because sometimes he tends to overwrite and he doesn't do that in this book at all and i think that's a good example of that just like a really good streamlined ominous quote from a villain so yeah that that the whole bear sequence aside from the hunter really struck with me Dan, if you like that, you should check out on Twitter. There's an account called A Bear, and it's just it's just thoughts of a bear. Wait, really? <laughs> and it's very pure. Like today, I walked through the woods, and it's very pure. You so it's not the Tom it Gordon bear. It's just it's just a, a no, bear. It's just, a, just, it's just a, a bear. Like lowercase a bear. A I mean, we don't know right it's now. not the Tom Gordon. bear. It could be. Maybe he's because yeah. we don't know how evil the Tom Gordon bear really is. You know, he's just, just right. could be a bear. He just could just be a bear that's hungry. Listen, you know, I don't care what this drunk says in the book. It's just a bear. <laughs> cool bear. Yeah. yeah. What about, is it, it, maybe it's John Jacques Anod's The Bear. Uh, That's like, a good oh, movie, man. Uh, I, used, I love that movie as a kid. I, I too. Doesn't the, it's kind of in line with this book. Is doesn't the mother bear, she dies because she's trying to get like a beehive on a cliff and yep. she falls. Yeah. It's so sad. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's very I sad. I love that movie as a kid. Yeah. Really well, it happens in Winnie the Pooh as well. It's really tragic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just found a movie called The Grizzly Maze or something. And it's got James Marsden Ooh. and Thomas Jane fighting a grizzly bear so i think wait, that's wait, king's dominion what is this yeah it's 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 it's, it's, it's wild. on netflix yeah, yeah. i was oh, like wow. what the fuck where has this been it's pretty yeah. good you know yeah they totally couched that one i remember stumbling yeah. upon that when i was sick like a few months ago and i was just like holy shit how the hell did i miss this like i know everyone is like a, in this movie billy bob thornton's in it yeah, yeah. it's i know king legends right exactly um i well speaking of i don't know legends <laughs> I wanted to read the section about the beavers. Um, yes, I, I love that. that. I had that down too. Yeah, wow. yeah. It's I loved it. Um, and it's longer, but I'll just read one part. Um, 10 or 15 minutes later, she was standing um, on the half-submerged roof of the tree in her filthy unraveling stockings and looking ahead, both wondering and puzzled, beyond the straggling line of broken trees where she was now, the bog opened out into a flat, stagnant pond. Running across the center were more hummocks, but these were brown and seemed made of broken twigs and gnawed branches. Sitting on top of several and staring at her were half a dozen fat brown animals. Slowly, the lines on Trisha's forehead smoothed out as she realized what they were. She forgot all about being in the swamp, about being wet and muddy and tired, about being lost. Tom, she whispered a little breathlessly, they're beavers. Beavers sitting on beaver houses or beaver teepees or whatever you call them. They are, aren't they? She stood on tiptoes, holding the trunk of the tree for balance, staring and delighted. Beavers lounging on top of their stick houses. And were they watching her? She thought they were, especially the one in the middle. He was bigger than the others, and he seemed to Trisha that his black eyes never left her face. 
face. He appeared to have whiskers and his fur was a luxuriant dark brown, shading almost to auburn around his plump haunches. Looking at him made her think of the illustrations in The Wind in the Willows. And I just love oh. that. Um, I like have recently moved a little bit outside of Nashville and it's much more rural, um, even though we are in a neighborhood and we're not like cut off in the country or anything, but I see animals a lot more. And my, I was telling my team at work and my boss was like, yeah, there's something like really magical when you just see a deer, you know? And it mm-hmm. just that, that moment, I just loved it. It's like, it's beavers. And she's like in the process of starving to death. And it's just this moment of joy that she finds in this like huge, scary wilderness that I just loved. And it reminded me a lot of the body too, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of body illusions in this for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I even just tried to read that last section like Richard Dreyfuss. So hopefully I pulled it off. Yeah. I was in Stand By Me. Um, Oh, I've got, speaking of like short, succinct, I like this one. Uh, Trisha discovered what thousands, perhaps even millions of men and women before her have discovered. By the time it gets too gross, it's often also too late to go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... Oh yeah, so there. I've got a couple more, but if anybody else says anything else, and then uh, I think Jen, I think we share. Well, you have one that's above on the same page as mine, which is on. I had one on page one sixty four, um, mm-hmm. where she talks about um, on the far side of the rushing stream, there was a little clearing carpeted with pine needles. Sunlight fell into it, and bright yellow bars filled with slow dancing pollen and woods dust. Butters- butterflies also played in this light, dipping and swooping. Trisha crossed her hands on her belly where the warring was now still and watched the butterflies. In that moment, she did not miss her mother, father, brother, or best friend. In that moment, she did not even want to go home. Although she ached all over the place and her butt stang and itched and chafed when she walked. In that moment, she was at peace and more than at peace. She was experiencing her life's greatest contentment. If I get out of this, I'll never be able to tell them, she thought. She watched the butterflies on the other side of the stream, her eyelids drooping. There were two white ones. The third was velvety dark brown or maybe black and i don't know it's just good it's like when he when he writes about like the 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 more beatific light parts of life like man king does it better than anyone else it's just it's Mm -hmm. so good like it's like like shawshank is all fueled by and yeah i think we often talk about how most of the time in word processor we're not doing dialogue we're doing the descriptions of nature or or the the inner feelings you know yeah yeah, the section I have that is right above on that same page was, it was wonderful to be full. She had lived nine years without knowing that, and she hoped she would never forget. It was wonderful to be full. I just thought mm. that was so nice little moment, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've got during the climax, there's this great line. The woods lay silent all about them, breathing their sour, urgent scent of green. Yeah. Mm. I think I love that. Yeah, that's good. Like you can the, smell it when you yeah, read that, you know. I, I, like that. I was thinking yeah. too, because I've... Are you are, are any of you Ramsey Campbell fans at all, the British horror writer? I know Randall likes mm. him a lot. I, I've read a couple of his books and and they're good. I, I do enjoy them, but something and not just him, but this this comes to mind with a lot of other horror writers who who aren't king. Sometimes when I read descriptions of woods or even the violent acts that are happening or monsters or whatever else, mm. I just can't get a clear idea of it. Like it's very good prose, it's very eloquent and kind of windy and everything. But I just can't get the clarity behind it. Like I can't actually conjure up what it actually looks like. And I think King is so good at doing that, just in describing trees or bears or violence. Or like I've been thinking about yeah. that a lot. Is that even even Dennis Etchinson, who I also really like, I feel like there's something more surreal and impressionistic about all those guys. I like how King just describes it both very majestically, but also very straightforwardly. It's very a, a true gift, in my opinion. It's very Hemingway. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, that's mm-hmm. a, that. Yeah, yeah, those other guys are Faulkner, King is Hemingway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, everyone yeah. everyone, everyone knows my. I, I will not stand for the Faulkner slander. Hey, I like Faulkner. Like well, Faulkner. Don't be. Uh, I, I gotta I, shut I, my mouth. I, yeah, <laughs> Mike, don't let Mike get started. Well, I'll, Mike, I'll give you Hemingway. You've got to give me Faulkner. That's, yeah. that's how it works. That's how this works. Yes. I like Cormac uh, McCarthy. I'll take VC Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jen, I'm with you on VC Andrews. So. <laughs> I like I like Cormac McCarthy, who I think started off as Faulkner and became Hemingway as he got older. I agree. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And, but I think it's positive both ways. Yeah, that's true. We, so we, get, to, we get a huge fight mark. over just like yeah. <laughs> old white authors. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you slander Cormac? And right. Yeah. Mm. Uh, anyway, anybody have? I've got one more, unless anybody else has one. I think Go you, for it. Jen. I remember you. You near the beginning. I think you read a lot of the final page. Did you? Did you do the last? The last the, last paragraph. Yeah, I that, did. Yeah, that's so mm-hmm. good. That yeah, it's great. Great. Uh, great. And just with the game over, I great love button. that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's perfect. Such a good button. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the last one that I wanted to read is on page 164 or 176, and it relates to the beech nuts. And it's when she's just talking to the berries and the beech nuts. And she says she paused. Um, Thank you. She told them you're the best food I ever ate, you know, and that just mm-hmm. was so sweet. Aww. It's such a childlike thing to say, you know, but like and I think she earlier describes like I'll never be able to explain express this to anybody else you know yeah that that feels like um, a very like a truly nine-year-old thing to say like i could picture yeah. my saying that yeah yeah just cool well yeah. she's still trying to figure out the hold carry things <laughs> right exactly yeah. <laughs> i know I, 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 that's I hope, totally uh, my daughter too she, she's listening she's like oh, why did uncle daniel insult me like this <laughs> she's, yeah right he keeps talking about how i get sick and give him viruses and, and i can't right. carry a boogie board <laughs> no i mean the boogie board thing was very endearing because it was i was just I'm like sure. oh, you're still a little kid yeah it's fine well, I'm sure at one point on the beach, you'd like turn around and she was like, you know, 18 years old holding the boogie board. And you realized that you're at uh, the beach at the from old. The old. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Classic. M. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. Modern day classic. Uh, God. You know, Game over I, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, speaking of the best thing I ever ate, let's do pound cake. Ooh, yes. After all you've been taught, everyone in bad mama, everything in the Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. <laughs> and this is the juvenile humor, the gross stuff, the passages that make us giggle. Like we're, I was going to say 13, but I'll say nine and keep it um, thematic, you know? Yeah. D- did y'all, ha- so I did, because Pound Cake, I always try and pick stuff that just makes me kind of cringe too. And there wasn't mm-hmm. so much in this because... A, I think the there's not a lot of sex, obviously, because and rightfully so, because it's about a nine year old. Um, and then when it comes to the the blue, you know, shit humor, whatever else, because it was so harrowing, it wasn't funny to me. I was like, oh, I feel so bad for this girl. I guess there were a couple times. What did she say? Like shit on a shingle or something? Well, I, I think kind of for laugh, me, but yeah, you know, but there was a lot in my it. in my spirit and heart. You know, pound cake can also incorporate just things that make you gross you out. Yeah, that's yeah. It, yeah. Oh, totally. So I do have something here. Just the, the use of words here is really strong. Uh, talking about, obviously, when Trisha's having her, let's say it again, shitting and, and puking uh, event. Uh, King writes, uh, she voided what seemed like a huge quantity of weak acid. That is so <laughs> voided. Oh, and, then, and, then it says, and it continues on. It hurt her down there, hurt with a deep itching sting oh, that felt God. like the worst case of prickly heat she'd ever had. I mean, that is absolutely Ooh. Ooh, accurate too. Yeah. Oh. yeah, he's oh. just so good at choosing words there. Mm. You know that mm, it's like you—it's yeah. like the pines thing. It's like you can feel it. Yeah, the green. You, that. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the only thing I had was the poop stuff, and yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, she passes gas. I guess that you kind of have to put that in there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Seemed a little superfluous. It's like the you know earlier when I was talking about like the mentioning of like you know well they at the crime scene they won't find the panties. It's like right. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. I guess that has a relevance. But yeah, it it just felt like if he could get a toot in there, he's going to do it. So um, a toot. A toot. I, I can't I'm it's still I know we're not going to be there for a while I'm still so excited to get to under the dome where the old man's oh, getting yeah. beat up and is farting because it, it, it's, it's such a depressing scene but I'm like why are you adding these farts in there anyway we've Have referenced you... that so many times in this podcast too That's... because I feel like that you mentioned that like I think one of the first few episodes and there was a recent episode I mean I think it was Billy Summers episode when Randall mentioned that it was like oh Caffrey's gonna go nuts when we get to talk about that character yeah, I know, it's always a... bring that up well, like, and, and, then, and he makes a point to talk about how he's like an old professor and he makes a point to talk about how big his dick is too and yeah. so it's like this weird like these guys these like young townies are kicking the shit out of him making him fart and commenting on how big his dick is. it's so i don't know it's so Look, i love that there book. are it's so we've, funny we have a lot of talented tech savvy listeners yeah. and i would love love for somebody to do a compilation of King clips from movies of like violent acts happening and inserting like fart noises. <laughs> <laughs> like when Annie cuts off or when Annie hobbles Paul, like it's the, if you add like a, like a fart noise, <laughs> when he gets in the like the blazing saddles type. <laughs> yes. uh, just like yeah. Over the top fully work, you know, like so fake. I, that would be really funny. Or Gage gets uh, hit by the truck, you know. I mean, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> it's like a long. Oh fart. my! It's like, oh my yeah. god! <laughs> I'm already. I am dying thinking about this. Or it, the teacher and Carrie scream, Carrie, no! And then the the, the, the omni. Oh, the thing falls on her. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're going. This is. Oh this my god! Have you seen that Amy Schumer sketch where, like, when she's screaming, she farts every time too, and that's how the killer finds her in her house. She's hiding in the closet. You can't stop farting. You know it's that thing would trend so, so fast, and I and I wonder. I think. I feel like King would probably retweet that. Honestly, like, <laughs> I, I think he think it was, I think you think that would be like one of the funniest things ever. But I mean, maybe that's how we get him on the pod. You know? Yeah, that's true. You know, like, I, thought, I really I liked your a fart cut. It's like, you know, I tweeted you all a couple months ago, but this was unbelievable. I had to come on. <laughs> I had to come on for this. Right. Uh, God. Oh, I'm just laughing well. at everything. It's so end- like just seeing like silver bullet where like he gets to put the baseball bat. You're like, oh. <laughs> Did, you, okay. did someone mention Halloran from like The Shining when he gets hit with the, the, oh, the no. axes? Oh no! This is what I'm saying. After I, Thomas Jane oh, uh, shoots his kid in the mist. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! No, all four bullets. Okay, oh, we my have. God. <laughs> and he opens the car door and just like a wave of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, we went he almost two up. and a half hours. Uh, yeah. It was like this eloquent conversation of I nature. Know. And, yep. and childhood and sports. Hey, we're in pound cake, man. Baseball. That's and, pound cake. <laughs> but you know what? That's right. We are in pound cake. Uh, oh my god. Well, speaking Ooh. of terrifying farts, um, <laughs> there is a place where farts go to die, and that is the cemetery. <laughs> What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person but it ain't that person because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all well i'm not gonna ask what would happen if you buried a fart in the pet cemetery because that is mm-hmm. <laughs> section yeah, last cake. night we did we did uh, some theorizing <laughs> about the micmac burial grounds in the thanksgiving episode true. so it's, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's yeah. a fart cemetery yeah i mean yeah 
We don't know that it's not. Um, so who? this is where we talk about the stuff that scares us so hard that we pass explosive wind. So would anyone yeah. care, I care mean, to Reading this, I just absolutely... It's not, it's not even a specific exact extract from the book, but that, that part that ends with her passing out and the mosquitoes sucking on her eyelids. Oh, it's disgusting. Oh, when she falls yeah. down the hill. Oh, my God. That was nasty. And, yeah. waking, and then waking up to just knowing that she's going to wake up just with itchy eyelids is just, mm. that mm-hmm. is crazy to me. You teased oh, some bug stuff earlier, Justin. Do you have uh, some bad bug stories? Oh, that, well, first like... of all, growing up in Florida, there was there were really bad mosquito eras down there. We had, um, there was a really nasty virus going around. Not like the stomach virus that Dan's uh, <laughs> yeah, the relative gave him. Yeah. But there was a really nasty virus where one Halloween we couldn't go outside and trick or treat. We had to go to the mall. Because in Orlando, there was this really bad case yeah. of mosquitoes going on. The West Nile, was it? Or? I think it might have been the, the, uh, one, one of the Niles. Okay. North, east, south, or west. One of the Niles. And so I, I've always been very anti-bug. Uh, hate them. <laughs> but I also had, uh, oh God, a few years ago, I had like a, it was a minor case ultimately in the grand scheme of things, but I had like a bed bug situation. It's hard to explain what that's like unless you've gone through it. Mm-hmm. the itching and the and that so just imagining that like just little mosquito bites all over her eyelids is absolutely that's what i'm talking about about how just keep this with the horrors of nature don't have to incorporate well maybe it was somewhat supernatural mm-hmm. nature can yeah. be terrifying on its own and, like that's, and i think too because that's like the first really horrific thing. i mean she gets lost and she's freaking out about that but then the bugs is kind of the first really i'd say horror sequence that happens in the novel and it's mm-hmm. a great way i think to usher us into that they also too this isn't about bugs but it's using language that's applied to the mosquitoes to talk about plants there's a line about like the bramble like drinking the blood from the back of her neck or something it's about like mm-hmm. her getting scratched mm-hmm. by bramble but it, I, something about the way he describes that was was so freaky I, for me it's i mean i know i mentioned it before it's it's the um finding this the deer carcasses and the deer parts and then not and and just talking about something watching her i mean it's a very simple scare but very effective also too when she realizes that the fawn she just found is probably one of the fawns that she saw in in the woods is is like both scary but also very heartbreaking to me too like she Mm -hmm. sees this thing of beauty and then it it probably gets killed by the bear that that was the one i I wrote down we can stay on bugs though too if uh if uh, rothman bug stuff i don't have any bug stuff i have mostly just like terrain that I think he does a really good job at. Like we talked about how the woods were a character and I talked about how like the woods were like a, a sandbox for him. And I think like the different terrains that he explores throughout the woods here. Swamp and um, marsh. And- they really, they really stuck with me. Like I, I, I always take little images. I talked about this on the podcast a lot. Like I always take little snapshots. kind of like, um, yeah, like preview images on folders and on a computer. And there are a couple here in this book that I just, I can't shake even like a week later. Um, one is when she finally gets to that like dead area and she taught it's on page 111. With that done, she looked around and saw she had come to a kind of ghost woods. The sight of some old fire ahead and all already around her was a broken maze of long dead trees. The ground in which they stood was swampy and wet rising from flat pools of standing water were turtleback hummocks covered with grass and swashes of weeds. The air hummed with mosquitoes and danced with dragonflies. Now there are more woodpeckers tech, tack hammering away dozens of them by the sound so many dead trees so little time and then later she describes it as or king describes it as um uh 
there was nothing to eat here. It stank of mud and rotting trees and who knew what other gross stuff here. It was ugly here. It was a bummer here. It came to Trisha that if she stayed here and no search party came before dark, she would be spending the night here. It was an awful idea. The little crescent-shaped clearing had been Disneyland compared to this. And it just scared me. Like the, mm-hmm. that whole, the, the being like already lost, but then also being in a place that's, it, it reminded me of like almost like Dante's Inferno mm. when mm-hmm. you keep going from like one level to another and it's just like gets worse and worse. That whole section, I was like, I just want her to get out of here. I don't want to be in this section. Like I was getting like claustrophobic almost reading it. Yeah. Uh, no, this Disneyland the... is just when Ter- Tower of Terror was still there, not when uh, the, well, the Guardians of the, the Galaxy, Galaxy right, took over, <laughs> mm. which is also a nightmare. So yeah. 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 Yeah, what's the swamp in the Neverending Story? Oh, uh, the swamp God. of eternal sadness or something. Eternal, oh, yeah, God, that's, so that's sad. Kind of Atre- yeah. uh, one of my attacks. It's eternally sad. A- Atrey- oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, like the boneyard of the Lion King. Speaking of Disney, uh, no. the elephant's graveyard. Yeah, yeah thanks. Mm-hmm. Elephant graveyard. Yeah, circle yeah, <laughs> I've got something here. This has to do with um, when she's really starting to hallucinate towards the end of the book. Great visual image here that I can definitely see in the movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. Uh, from these trees hung the mutilated corpses of a thousand deer, Oof. a slain army of deer crawling with flies and bulging with maggots. Like that image is just oof. Oof, startling. And obviously that kind of comes off of what you were talking about earlier with the, uh, the beautiful deer that she finds dead in the woods too. Just that being yeah. amplified, you know, that's just a, such a, a thousand deer, that image of a thousand deer hanging like that. It's just, Ugh. oof, startling. Well, one of mine was the the hummocks when her foot goes in and it takes her shoe mm. and then and I won't read it but when she reaches in and she says something alive pressed against her hand and went away that just oh it gave me the creeps I don't like like wet lake swamp Sucking, shit yeah yeah well, that, that creeped me out too because uh, it reminded me of um, Rooney from Ferris Bueller uh, when he loses his shoe and then it made me think of Jeffrey Jones which is a horror story in itself mm. but, uh, I thought you were talking about the band Rooney which I like the, the first album <laughs> yeah yeah God. Um, uh, I did want uh, to talk about the uh, when the thing in the woods because I think mm. some of this passage is really really good and creepy. Mm. Um, on page ninety seven, is that what? Yeah, um, oh, mm. the unreliable moonlight had changed the shapes of the trees, had turned them into bone faces with black yes. eyes. The sound of two branches rubbing together became the the clotted croon of a monster. Of a monster, Trisha turned in a clumsy circle trying to look everywhere at once, her eyes rolling in her muddy face. It's a special thing, Trisha, the thing that waits for the lost ones. It lets them wander until they're good and scared because fear makes them taste better. It sweetens the flesh, and then it comes for them. You'll see it. It'll come out of the trees any minute now, a matter of seconds, really. And when you see its face, you'll go insane. If there was anyone to hear you, they'd think you were screaming, but you'll be laughing, won't you? Because that's what insane people do when their lives are ending. They laugh and laugh and laugh it's mm. perfect well speaking of that bear i think I, I don't know if one of you mentioned this earlier in a longer excerpt please stop me if you did but i think it's the first time we get that there's a creature out there uh as she slept something came and watched her it watched her uh-huh. for a long time it was not until light began to line the horizon in the east that it went away and it did not go far good ending to a little section there too mm-hmm yeah, that, that actually reminded me of, because uh, I, I had that written down, then I I thought of the scene when Michael Myers is staring at Linda and Bob on the couch. Like, that's the image I got out of that, which is just... Yeah, just a shadow being right there. Staring Spare at you. wearing yeah. a giant shape mask. 
Yeah, it's Michael Myers. It's actually Michael Myers. In a, in a, bear, in a bear costume. <laughs> it's like Michael Myers wearing a bear. I, don't, I think that, I don't know, the bear in this could probably fit into that giant mask from the fifth movie. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, you know, yeah. he's everybody. giant house. <laughs> he's everybody's bear-gy man. Now. Oh. <laughs> oh. Nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> that yeah. goes in the misery like, section like, for this bout. I feel like mosquitoes just started feasting on my eyelids. <laughs> Listen to that. Uh, um, well, yeah. I had one more section I wanted to read, and it is about the bear. Um, uh, nothing. It's on page one eighty six. Yep, um, nothing. Oh, did you have that one too? I you have this go, one too. Go for go it. No, for no, you it. go for I it. I already read no, the I, other one. No, you go for that because I have another one that I want to read afterward. That, perfect. Okay. Perfect. All right. Nothing. No sound, but the 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 soughing of the wind through the pines, and then a grunt, low and soft, and not even remotely human. Trisha stood where she was, with her arms around her fragrant, sappy load of branches. Her skin broke out in little hard bumps. Where had that grunt come from? This side of the stream? The other side? From the st- stand of pines? She had a horrible idea, almost a certainty, that it was the pines. The thing which had been watching her was in the pines. As she harvested branches to cover herself with, its face had been perhaps less than three feet from her own. Its claws, the one which had torn into the trees and ripped both deer apart, had perhaps hovered within inches of her own hands as she bent the branches back and forth, first splintering them and then breaking them. Trisha started coughing again, and that got her moving. She dropped the branches in a helter-skelter pile and crawled among them without any attempt to create order out of their jumbled chaos. She winced and moaned a little when one of them poked the place on her hip where she had been stung, then lay still. She sensed it coming now, slipping out of the pines and finally coming for her. The tough tootsie special thing, the wasp priest's god of the lost you could call it whatever you wanted the lord of dark places the emperor of understairs every kid's worst nightmare whatever it was it had finished teasing her it was all done playing games it would simply tear away the branches beneath which she was cowering and eat her alive mm. oh, it's terrifying I know. that's like the Ugh. scariest that's why it's scary to be alone mm. in the woods at night you know? mm-hmm. yeah yeah, your mind plays tricks on you. Yep. Um, the similar to that, that's like later, later on, and I don't mean Stephen King's later. Uh, <laughs> on page two twenty five, uh, King writes, "In its glare, Trisha saw something with slumped shoulders standing on the far side of the road. Something with black eyes and great cocked ears, like horns. Perhaps they were horns. It wasn't human. Nor did she think it was an animal. It was a god. It was her god, the wasp god, standing there in the rain. That." Uh, just mm-hmm. the just the thing standing there, like that's where my mind would go to in the woods. If that, especially at that point when I'm like, you know, emaciated and just fucking iron deficiency and all that other crap, I, I know I'd probably see like all these shadow figures wandering around everywhere. And, ugh, it just gets me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but. Mm. Well, and we didn't read. Well, I don't have it to read, but just the description of the wasp priest when he lowers his mask and it's just like a swarming face of wasps. It's just, mm, you know. yeah. Yeah, the wasp scene itself when they when she stumbles into it reminds me of, uh, of a movie I just recently watched on uh, Shutter Rituals when they they, they have a, a very I like Rituals awesome that's good. There's a good wasp scene in that where it really kind of sets the kind of puts things off uh, tips things off into motion where you're like oh everything's fucked. So mm. yeah, you know speaking of the wasp, my my boy the wasp god the wasp priest. We didn't really talk about, but this is kind of eerie that 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 dream or that hallucination she has of the three hooded figures, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily scary. It's, it's definitely unsettling because you get the white robed Bork the Dork, who mm-hmm. kind of looks like her science teacher, I think, or an old science teacher from her school. <laughs> yeah, who's a god of Tom Gordon, and the white robed Larry, who looks like her father, basically. He used to sub audible, mm-hmm. and then the black robed thing from the woods. I come from the god of the lost. Has been watching you. Has been waiting for you. It is your miracle, and you are it. It's like that's pretty effective mm-hmm. that was creepy yeah um that's all well I got. and 
if we, maybe that can lead us into our next section, which is King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Because in a lot of ways that reminded me of insomnia. It's like the uh, yeah. like when the subaudible steps back and is like, no, here's the wasp god. Like mm -hmm. it's his turn now. And I mean a little bit because uh, it is November. It's like the the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. It's like I can't do the subaudible. It almost feels like he's saying I can't do anything more. And I know you know Christmas Carol is not King's Dominion, but you know. And all the real figures had scissors too. No, they did. They did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. That, what they did though um well they we mentioned castle rock uh yeah. so that's an easy one and then trisha's puke in place reminded me of annie's laughing shack in um, uh, misery um, i've got some good ones and i've got some absolute in honor of mac not being on this podcast um, <laughs> some great uh room some room got, uh, yeah i got more 237 but go for yeah okay. go for what small ones do you have though okay like there's a lot of talk there's a lot of talk about marshes Bed Marsh. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, I mean, she is a girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's Full Dark mentioned twice mm -hmm. on page yeah. 77 and That's page 234. That's a Mac classic right there. Yeah, mm -hmm. a total Mac classic. <laughs> um, did did uh, something about the way she was saying shit on a shingle out loud after something bad happened, I don't know why, it reminded me of Georgie going, oh, shit and Shinola and it like uh -huh. before he gets mm -hmm. uh, killed. I mean, that's just like a stylistic common thing, I think. Um, yeah. what did, I mean, the bear, I and mean, this is a big one. I mean, the bear reminded me a lot of Shardick with the Shardick. maggots and everything. Yeah. I mean, I thought I, I was yeah. wondering, I'm like, oh, is this an indication that this is on the beam of the, the bear maybe a little bit? Um, oh. like just because yeah. Shardick has, I mean, the thing is with this bear, we don't know if it actually has maggots in its mouth and whatever else, right? Is Shardick, I'm trying to get the geography right in the Dark Tower 3, especially, mm -hmm. is, is he in the Northeast? Oh, man, that's a good question. Dark Tower I detour. Know, so yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I'll I know, test yeah. I mean, Shardick's technically right. a fucking robot too. So, but was once a bear. That is true. Yeah, he's yeah. become corrupted. Maybe we're seeing him, you know, pre pre corruption. He's having a little jaunt in, in our world before he goes back to middle. Oh world. my god. Well, if we look maybe. at the animation, it's missing an ear too, and this whole time we just never picked up on it. Yeah, it's just so yeah. it's like so explicit. Wild. Yeah. Maybe it decided it was not going to be afraid of Walkmans anymore. It was going to become the Walkman yes. itself. <laughs> yeah, technology. He's turning into a giant Walkman. Oh, what's this? thing yeah back at the very end it sneaks it away what about the um, uh i mean the wasps are obviously a big thing and another the yeah shining. Shining. the shining yeah mm -hmm. it, am i wait yeah. am i making it uh is there something with like a wasp god in misery or what's the thing at the aren't isn't he seeing annie the bees oh it's bees, the bees not, in no, not a wasp mm -hmm. which okay. i mean you know the, the wasps nicer little brothers yeah you know? so i just looked it up but uh Oh, never mind. It doesn't say where uh, where Shardik is from. Bummer. Mm. Um, Midworld. Uh, yeah. Trisha at one point screams out "Booyah, oh, Booyah Moon." Oh, oh yeah. that's a good one. Big head <laughs> story. Mm -hmm. um, well, they do talk about the moon quite a bit too. So you know, M M O N. Um, well, they keep singing the jingle to one eight hundred fifty four giant, and I called the number, and it still works, and it is. An does it really? It is a glass really? company? Oh wow! Wow, oh, that's awesome. That is a good awesome. plug for them. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder how much business they've gotten over the years from that. I wonder. Yeah. Featured in the girl of Tom Gordon. I found one on page 171 um, where it's the the three hooded figures. I can't remember which one. 
um, where he says the skin of the world is woven of stingers, a fact you have now learned for yourself. Um, but beneath there is nothing but bone and the God we share. This is persuasive. Do you agree? And I think there's another character that says this is persuasive. But what agree? that reminded me of is um, Judd talking about the soil of a man's heart is stonier. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I feel like the woods in general remind me a lot about the woods um, in Pet Cemetery and just kind of the unwieldy, mysterious. I can see that. I like that. Uh, page one eighty eight, Grandma mm. says that, and then what was kind of like gra- uh, Grandma, Grandma? Oh, like Grandma, grandma from oh. yeah, spelling like, from yeah, the short exactly yeah, this from Skeleton Crew, and um, love me, Grandma. And then this kind of maybe leads into two thirty seven, but on page two twenty four that says it was here, and it's mm-hmm. also on, on two thirty six. So do we want to maybe venture into two thirty seven, room two thirty seven, and kind of share some yeah. of our theories? Or yeah, what about room two thirty seven? Room two three seven. There's guy room two three seven, ain't you? No, I. Mr. Allen, what is in room two three seven? You could make an argument. I feel, and I, I apologize, Justin, if this is jump, jumping on yours. Um, but you could make the argument that the the bear or the wasp thing is like a dandelion Pennywise type of thing. In a way, and this is, the, um, and that's, you know, that's what I don't like. If that's the, I know, I know. Case, I'd be like, ugh, why, why? Because that's what I wonder. Like, why would he specifically say that it? Like, you feel like he does that, even in later, he kind of, you know, hints at that. Yeah. Um, I think you know, though, Mike, because like it caught me a couple times too. I think Jen, you mentioned it earlier too. I, I think when he's saying it, it's like when you capitalize. He yes. and him were talking about God, mm-hmm. so I think that might be the uh, what he's going for there with the spelling. It's the yeah. royal it. We, the royal yeah. it, yes. Swinger and I talked about this on the Dark Tower Detour episode about how it's sometimes I like the mystery, but sometimes I'm like, man, just clarify it. Just like, just, you know, I don't, yeah. like, I don't yeah. want to be one. Yeah. Oh, is this flag? Is this Pennywise? Is this that? It's like, no, just be, be straight with it, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I've had that similar feeling sometimes. I mean, I, I don't know if that's what he's going for here. Maybe, maybe not. But like, I always do think that of like, well, either not everything always has to be connected in that kind of way, you know? Yeah. What did well, you have, Justin? Oh, I've got a lot more. Some are, let me just knock out these lame three. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Shardik was okay. right um, there. I had. At 10 o'clock in the morning in early June, she was sitting in the backseat of her mother's Dodge Caravan. 10 o'clock people? She is a people. That oh, is my 10 God. O'clock. Yeah. <laughs> um, the <laughs> side of her face where the stump of branch had poked her was bleeding again, too. Not fair, she thought. Not fair. Gage? Oh, that, yeah, no that fair, sounds. No fair. No fair. Yeah. Does Gage yeah. see that in the book or is that just in the movie? I think it's just in the movie. Yeah. Maybe it's in yeah. the movie. Maybe it is, yeah. I well, I mean, so. King wrote the screenplay. Yeah, so oh, yeah, yeah, that's course. true. Yeah. It's King's yep. Dominion, for God's sake. Good sakes. call. Um, <laughs> there could be quicksand, she muttered. That's oh. right. The cold voice agreed at once. It sounded amused. Quicksand, alligators, not to mention little gray X-Files men with probes to stick up your butt. Uh, King's Chinga episode would have aired four months before the events <laughs> of this book. I wonder if Trisha watched the episode and wonder what she Ooh. thought. Oh, Sorry, but did you just say alligators? Like I sure did. gators, like later gators. Oh, later like oh, kings later. <laughs> With featuring right. Pennywise oh, the clown, maybe that's that's true. Yeah, <laughs> maybe Pennywise. Yeah, I think he rides an alligator in that one, doesn't he? Yeah, he goes right into New York. He's like, All right. like 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 uh, was it Gina Davis at the end of Beetlejuice? I oh, do yeah. have With two more two more that are actually pretty cool, and I think that they could be deliberate. But fun, but not annoying Easter eggs. This is not like Blue Milk and Rogue One. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, 
So it's an, when when Trish is listening to the game and and Tom Gordon gets the save, the last line the announcer says is the Red Sox win five to four over the Yankees, and Tom Gordon gets his 18th save. You could say that uh, that would make Trisha's 19th save. Oh, yeah, that's that's deliberate, I think. And Mm. then, though, here's a good one. So when she enters the trail with her mom and brother, it's it's said that Trisha's 97 pounds. And then it says, the girl who came blundering half-blind up a piney slope and into a brushy clearing seven days later weighed no more than 78 pounds. 97 minus 78? 19. Man. Wow, that is that's cool. actually pretty oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, right. That's pretty huh? freaky. Way to pretty go. Good. Pretty good. So nice. the only other one I had was does the mother have the shine? I mean, because you could make the argument that like she literally wakes up when she's in trouble. Oh, she yeah. has that sort of connection. And mm-hmm. even the brother kind of has some sort of weird thing. But I think it's more of the mother that actually has it. Like we we recently discussed on a Bag of Bones episode, um, which you can listen to with, with Anthony Bresnikan. We tried to list all the characters that might have the shine in King's Dominion. Right. Would we add her in that? Or do you think that's just too much of a, a mother's intuition? I mean, I okay, in The Shining, he talks about how all mothers have a little bit of the shine, especially when their kids are younger. Or like, I mean, I guess you could extend mm-hmm. that to say when your kids are in danger. So, I mean, I, yeah, I think I would add that. It, yeah, doesn't, and doesn't Halloran talk about Wendy specifically? He's like, oh, your mother, and yeah. she has a little bit of it. Um, your father, yeah. probably not. Yeah. At this point, I feel like everybody's got the shine. And- <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah true. we all shine well, on. And it's funny, <laughs> like, there was a deleted chapter where Pascal actually comes and visits and hails oh, down oh, the truck and kind of alerts. He's like, hey, I just got dropped off. He's just... He's been wandering the wilderness in truck drivers' mm-hmm. passengers. Just making a couple of wisecracks. Twenty years, yeah. uh, ten years. You know, in my previous life, I was a cross country runner. Now I'm a cross country walker. Uh, you know. <laughs> oh, I love Pascal. What if? I'm, what if? I'm like, the girl who loves him. I'm just glad that, like, you know, if we could have gotten some really disgusting pancake. You said that there weren't any sex scenes. Like, could have been easy to just like have like a couple of true knot members just going at it in the woods or something like that. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, she's my like favorite, my Tr- favorite villains. Trisha came across an RV that was mysteriously shaking back and forth, yeah. and animalistic grunts were emitting from inside. And also, of course, a lot of farting going on too. Yeah, oh, exactly. Of course, Wait, oh, yeah. It, what's the what, the uh, grandpa, whatever his name is, can't hold his grandpa fudge. flick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't come a knocking was painted uh, on the side and airbrush. Hmm. I apologize. I, I had, had to bring in had to bring in some more scatological humor. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you no. Know it's funny is that I used to think the word scatological meant jazz like, like it meant like free free forming and free willing. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure there's some album reviews from like mid 2000s that I used the word scatological in probably in, oh probably incorrectly. Um, so and now you yeah. know it doesn't mean jazz like. No. It means shit like. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I apologize to everyone. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it looks like we finally found a road and it does not luckily have a RV with old vampires <laughs> doing it. Um, so <laughs> I know, you know, that's that's for the sequel to the sequel. Um, so let's hang out by the post for just a minute and each share our final thoughts, MVP and nose ranking for the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. (laughs) Okay, I'll be right there. You said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Dan, would you care to kick us off? Sure. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give this four and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. I almost want to go for a five, but I mean my my kind of you know baseline for all that as well. If I give like Salem's lot a five. 
then and I love this novel too, but I mean, Sam's Law is so big and so hefty and like really hits all my King buttons. And like I said, I'm left wanting just a little bit more from the ending of this, but I still love it. I love how internal it is. It feels like a true turning point for King. I love that he writes. I mean, even though I don't necessarily believe all the things she does, I do like that he writes the voice of a nine-year-old girl so well. I think it's an improvement over something like Danny Torrance. So yeah, strong four and a half for me. I mean, I know it's boring, but the MVP, it's got to be Trisha. I don't know who else it could be. I love the bear at the end, but yeah. I mean, this is about Trisha. And once again, that's what makes this novel unique is that's King getting into the mind of a nine-year-old kid so well. So four and a half, bright red for me. Nice. Justin, how about you? Dan, to echo you a little bit, you know, if, if I give something like Salem's Lot and Carrie four out of five, I can't, I can't go there with this. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I have to say this is, this is a, it's definitely a good book. It's a three and a half out of five. Uh, bright red Pennywise clown noses for me. Terrific, uh, you know, human versus nature element. I loved kind of getting out of the supernatural for, well, what I hope is getting out of the supernatural. I, I, it's a bear. It's not the, it's not, it's not <laughs> it's the a fucking bear. It's a bear. Um, just love trimming of the fat. I think really started to overwhelm a lot of Latter Day King books over the last you know, twenty five years or so. Uh, look, I love baseball. I'm a sucker for baseball. So that also, uh, the constant analogies with baseball did not hurt my reading experience at all. Just a good, uh, and for King, breezy 300-page book. That, we didn't really talk about this, but I think if Lynn Ramsey's still attached to this, could be a really, really great Stephen King adaptation. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this I'm director, so excited did, for it. Um, yeah. We need to talk about Kevin. Uh, uh, what's the movie did. with Joaquin Phoenix? That's a great yeah, movie. You were, you were never really. Were never. Oh, God. That's, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see her, because she can obviously tackle the darkness, but it will be interesting to see if she does go with the kind of hopeful nature of it and sticks with the ending, which I think she would. I don't think she'd get too grim with it, you know. But yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing if she's hopefully still attached and, and does that movie. So yeah, three and a half me out too. of five for me. Nice. Mike? Uh yeah, God, I can't wait for that movie. I, I actually mm-hmm. just was looking for news on it, and there's nothing yet. And yeah. I'm just like, come on! I'm hopefully like now that the pandemic's you know winding down, like we find more productions going into because I feel like it wouldn't take long. We could probably get something out by fall if they've shot early next year. But I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, as for this book, I, I think you know brevity. That's often King's sharpest flex, and I think like Tom Gordon is one of his breeziest and most digestible novels to date. I, I mean, I could have easily swallowed this thing whole in like one sitting, but fortunately for, for my sake, um, I kind of kept it like a uh, Trisha, I, like with her, uh, her tuna sandwich and bottle of surge. I, I, I rationed this ration, rationed, rationed. I rationed, I think maybe ration this read. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I gave myself a few nights in the woods, so you know, I and, and I and I like and I appreciate that because I don't, I really don't feel there are any lulls. I think this is uh, to quote some forty one, uh, all killer, no filler. Um, and <laughs> you know, for a story about a girl who wanders throughout the woods, I think it's kind of ironic that the book itself never feels like it's wandering. Mm. Um, and I feel like King really knows where he's going. I never feel like I'm lost within the prose. I think it's tightly wound. I think it's swift enough to avoid any unnecessary tangents. And we all know, as we talked before, like King could have easily fucking done that. Mm-hmm. And I think it ends with such a smart kicker. Like it's one of those kickers that when I got there, it, it was kind of like I felt like Robin Williams at the end of Goodwill Hunting, except that I would have said like, damn, why didn't I think of that? Like, like how, how did I not think of that? Like, of mm-hmm. course it was going to end there. Um, so I love this book and I originally was going to go 4.5, but now, you know, having like with Justin talking about the, 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 the point of view and how, if we didn't pivot over to the, the parents, I kind of think that's a better book. And I really do want to see what that book would look like. Um, 
So I think for that, um, I'm going to go with four. Um, you know, four bright red Pennywise clown noses. Maybe I'll put a talk boy in there instead of a Walkman because <laughs> that's what I used more. Like uh, the Home Alone 2, um, you know, talk boy. So that yeah, the one love this book. Part of that movie. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> and Tim Curry. Tim Curry's not too oh, bad. Oh, that's man. true. But that's yeah. true. Yes, yes. Speaking of Pennywise. <laughs> um, so... Four. Uh, I'm going to give it four and a half. I just love this book. I, again, same thing. Like it, it's, it's hard for me to give this five, but um, I absolutely love it. I do think of it as um, Gerald's Game Junior. It's got like when I think about the Eclipse books, they may not be my favorites, but they are the ones that really have my heart, you know. And this one, I feel like, really does. I want my daughter to read this book in a couple of years, and I think this is something maybe we could read together. And I just, it's just beautiful. It's really empowering, um, but simple and restrained. And I think it's just, it's just gorgeous. And I also love the woods, and I think the descri- the description of nature here and the description of God, I find really, you know what? Fuck it. I am going to go five. I'm going to give this five. Right. I talked that's, myself that's... into it because I just love it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's mine. And Trisha, of course, is my MVP. Um, hard to. Oh really yeah, yeah. Oh else, yeah. yeah, Trisha's. It's a unanimous yeah. vote, much like Shohei Otani got for the Angels winning MVP this year for the uh, yeah. American League. So how about that? We'll <laughs> yeah, it's got to be factual for you. Yeah. Well, and I dare say our trip has been a little more successful than Trisha's. Uh, but before we call the last strike, let's wrap up just briefly with some plugs. Uh, Justin, where can we find you online and what's coming up for Halloweenies? Well, I'll tell you, we got a couple Halloweenies here with Dan yeah. and Mike and a constant guest of the Halloweenies family, Jen. That's right. Who, uh, we are wrapping up our season. I can't believe it. God, we really are wrapping yeah. up our season <laughs> on Scream. It's our fourth season. Uh, we just did our Scream four episodes, plural. That will be... Dan- Mike, will it have come out by the time? Yes. Yeah, it comes out tomorrow. Okay, cool. so. so you'll have heard at least our first episode, maybe even the second. Mm-hmm. But also definitely check us out on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod. We've got a lot more horror coverage that tend to not really have a lot to do with horror franchises in addition to a number of really, really fun, not taking ourselves too seriously, but still being quite informative commentaries that can be found there as well. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, Dan, you are going to be on some of that Scream coverage. Too. Yeah, I'm on are Scream 4. Uh, Scream was the, that's the only Scream I was on this season. So I'm, I'm excited. My, my schedule is kind of all over the place earlier. But um, yeah, we had a really, really awesome conversation about that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to re- listen to this. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm getting very excited for the new movie. Um, we also just. Well, and are y'all going to do it like with all five of you on for Scream? Yeah, five? I think that, yeah, it's usually what we do. Yeah. We'll have, like for Halloween Kills, we had all of us on. It was, uh, in mm-hmm. my opinion, maybe our best episode. I don't want to. I don't want to. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a good one. It was good. Um, great movie too. You know? Yeah. The, hey, <laughs> I think it was, but uh, I know, hey, that's I know, a, that's, I a, know. that's a topic for another podcast. Um, yes. We've, we've also, Halloween Kills Cup podcast. We've got one of our Patreon episodes coming out uh, um, for the rental uh, Street Trash, which was fun to revisit. Yeah. Yes, mm. yesterday we recorded that. Um, I think that's about it for me coming up. Yeah, you can find me, you know, uh, dancaffreywrites.com, uh, DW Caffrey on Instagram. I almost said Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> Instagram and Twitter. Uh, <laughs> like Trisha over here. You can, now. Find, but you can find me over there. So reach out and say hi. Yeah. 
Um, and you can find me at Jim Ferratu, and you can also find me co-hosting the Psychoanalysis Podcast, um, where December is going to be Body Dysmorphia Month. Ooh. So stay tuned. I like how I'm like, ooh, yeah, there. like, well, and I mean, um, what are you covering, Jen? Are you able to well, say? Well, we're going to have a tonight. We're recording our episode on thinner, so there's the oh, nice. King oh, connection. King's and then um, Mike is going to join us for. Should we say what the movie's going to? Yeah, be? just go for it. Go, go for, for it. it. We're yeah. going to do Black Swan for. Oh, second. that's a good um, one. Yeah, one. Yeah, so. I'm excited about that, but we're also covering Bride of Chucky for a comfort horror episode and Carnival of Souls, which I hadn't seen yet. So terrible. Yeah, I still have not seen that. (laughs) The original, not the remake. The original. Oh yeah, yeah. So God, they remade that. Yeah, I think it was a. uh, I think Charles Band remade it in the 80s or 90s, maybe. Uh, bad idea, James. Yeah, bad. It's, just, mm-hmm. it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, well, and Mike, what's up next for the Losers Club as we close out the year? Well, we get a lot of flack for taking a lot of time between book episodes, and, you know, <laughs> and rightfully so, I guess. But look, we like to go on different paths. Along yeah, the beam. we'd be done if we didn't do that. I know we <laughs> right, exactly. Be, we yeah, um, but we get, we're going right into Hearts Atlantis, and you're getting two episodes in December. Uh, we're going to be doing a Stephen King archives episodes that's tangential to that. We're going to go back into King's garbage truck with just his, uh, his college column. Uh, so keep things thematically there. Otherwise, I ha- we haven't finalized the schedule yet for December, but rest assured there will be more uh, you know, gifts to unwrap. <laughs> I'll just say, I'm not on the Hearts and Lance episodes, but I read that for the first time less than 10 years ago, and I... From what I remember, I was very moved by most of that book. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I am looking forward to hearing what you what you all have to say about it. I really like that book a lot. Yeah, I enjoyed Pretty it. Pretty yeah, unique collection, how they do the collection of stories. It's not they're not desperate stories. I think mm-hmm. that I think that crew is Mac, Randall, Flieger, and maybe Anna. Yep. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. That, that'll be a fun up. That'll be a good up. Mm-hmm. Two apps. Yeah. 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 Definitely, yeah, definitely at least so. two apps, yeah. Well, and that's our episode on the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Listeners, thank you so much for taking this hike with us. Thank you guys for talking about this fantastic book. Um, And we will see you soon over long days. And And pleasant night. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.